see it is you've got two choices. You can either keep pretending like nothing bad's ever gonna happen to you, and then when it does, you're saying, uh-oh, or you can get ahead of what's coming so that when it does, not if, you're ready for it, and you're sitting pretty, sipping on Mai Tais next to the pool, working on that Caribbean suntan, because you got it covered. So folks, it's time for you to learn the truth about money. It's time for you to take back control of your money so that you are ready for what's about to happen. By doing that, you're setting yourself up for absolute success. No matter what comes your way, you're ready for it. And that's what I want for you, and I wanna help you with that. So go to chrisnoggle.com and sign up for the Wealth Webinar. We do them every Wednesday at 1 p.m., and you need to be there because it's time. For over 90 years, we've been crash testing our cars in the tireless pursuit of automotive safety. At Volvo, safety's been first since 1927. We've saved millions of lives with the invention of the three-point seatbelt in 1959. At Volvo, we've made driving safer for you and them. Visit safety.finlayvolvo.com to learn more. So they say if you give a man a gun, he'll rob a bank. But if you give a man a bank, he'll rob everybody. The good news for you is Private Money Club runs solely on peer-to-peer -peer relationships, which means no banks allowed. So finally, there's a community for real estate entrepreneurs where it is truly a win-win solution. This community is a place where you can connect with other lenders and other borrowers, and the end results, massive growth for you. You get to build your real estate empire, and you get to do it solving other people's problems. So if that sounds like a place you want to be, well, then join us. Go to privatemoneyclub.com forward slash Kelly. And if you want 500 bucks off, just add the code Kelly 500 and I'll knock 500 bucks off the premier membership. We'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas podcast where attitude is everything. I tell you for three years, I've been chasing you. I have been chasing you for three years, wanted to get this man on the podcast, and I want to thank every single person out there that's listening, that's been rocking with us since the very beginning, that has helped us to get in the top 1% globally, um, also with all our sponsors. So uh, Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas, Jim DiGiulio. I always talk about it, the difference between relationship and transaction, which we're actually going to be talking about today. Um, but he really showed me this concept and didn't only show me it through me buying a car with him, but showed me it in his life. And it's just been a, an amazing, amazing inspiration. And Mr. Chris Knott with privatemoneyclub.com and also Money School. Chris Noggle is changing generations and the way that they think about money, helping people to become their own bank. Um, so, but the real reason why we're here is because the champ is in the building. The champ is here. Uh, I, I, I chased this man for, uh, it's been three years. We've been rocking on the podcast, uh, episode 277 today. And for 277 episodes, I've been walking by this guy in the park I've been walking with my dog. His dog looks just like mine. And I've been like, yo, I want to have you on the podcast. And I've been after him. The reason why is because he was the head coach of my uh, son's flag football team. I saw the way that he interacted with the kids. I saw the way that he interacted in the neighborhood. I saw his pickleball skills. You don't even want to play on the court with this dude. Um, and also, too, we got a chance to be able to play some pool. It was about a year ago. Um, we were at the – or maybe – a little less than a year ago, we were at a um, uh, campsite, and all the kids were there. Our kids play on the same team, and we got to play some pool. And when I we started talking, it was it blew my mind because this guy is in the highest level of like I asked, "Do you still do sales?" He said, "Yes, I love that at the highest level." He's the chief 
uh, commercial officer of Amaze Insights. But when I talked to him about sales, he lit up. And then we started talking and I was like, oh man, he's a sales guy. You're a sales guy. You're going to give me this, that, the other. But all he, all you talked about was relationships. All you talked about was building on something. So that way, when the deal came, you didn't even have to sell anything. You just said, hey, you want this? And they said, yes, because you had the relationship with them. The things that you're doing now, which is a rocket ship with Amaze Insights, it's happening because 25, 26 years of preparation, but it started in college. And it's just amazing to be able to see it. And, and I tell you, the congruency of this human being, um, guys, that you get to, a chance to listen to and you're going to get a chance to be able to glean from, it inspires me every single day. And he is never putting the focus on himself. He's always pumping everyone else up, congratulating me every single time. I'm like, but you're the man doing the big things. And I just, I absolutely love it. So please welcome to the show, the CCO of Amaze Insights. Um, if you don't know it now, you know it, uh, Mr. Nick Horgan. Thank you so much, Kelly. Actually, I'm just reading my favorite author, <laughs> author right now as we speak, The Six Indicators for Business and Life by Kelly Cardenas. So I appreciate the kind words, but the truth is I had to watch all 276 previous episodes just so I could stack up because my kids have been telling me for years, oh, you actually know the real Kelly Cardenas that we're hearing all about? But dad, he's famous. I was like, he is famous. His face is everywhere. I, I almost... Grew out dreadlocks just for this, <laughs> but I knew I couldn't pull it off nearly as well as you, Kelly. So I, I, I'll just have to stick with my my book and then <laughs> hold it up like that to do what I can. So. Well, our first interaction was actually at the pool. So both of our kids were playing in the pool, and um, we happened to, like, we are throwing the football. You're a phenomenal dad, by the way, incredible husband, too, and to be able to see your family. But we were playing, and, and we, uh, you know, our, our kids started splashing off, doing their thing, and then you and I started talking, and you started telling me about this hospitality side, and I was like, wow, this is, I mean, and you were just so humble about it, but you play at some of the top levels. I mean, when I said, when I said sales, Nick is responsible for, he, he conservatively said $160 million worth of software and, uh, and SaaS sales. You said conservatively, but when we were talking before the podcast, it's over $200 million of SaaS and software uh, that you've sold in your career. That is correct. And I had a lot of fun doing it. And really it was, I was surrounded by fantastic people and fantastic customers. And truly it started relatively slowly. So at the beginning, my very first sale, I, I still remember it really, really well because I was still in college and I was an intern and I was supposed to be an accounting intern. But then I look over and the sales team is throwing footballs back and forth. And I was like, that seems like a better fit. And they're like, well, we don't really do interns on the sales team, but I talked my way into it. So I guess that was the first sale. Um, and then while I was doing my internship, one of the sales reps left. So they had an open territory. So I went and knocked on the VP of sales door and I said, can I work this territory? And he's like, well, you're really an intern. So go back and keep making the telemarketing calls. But then I just kept asking and saying, I'd, I'd love to do this. I, I would just give me a shot. He did. I was on a program as an intern where at the end of the summer, I would get a thousand dollar bonus if everything went well, which at the time, a thousand dollars was all the money in the world that would take me right through the school year happily. So I, I was incredibly excited about that. And the maybe $8 an hour, $14 an hour, I can't remember what it was, but it was somewhere in that range. But I did wind up 
getting to handle that territory for the final two months of the summer. And I said, well, what if a deal happens? And he's like, there's not one that's going to happen because it's a long sales cycle and there's nothing in the pipeline. So that I was like, I just, what happens if something does? And he said, we'll figure it out when it happens. So then it goes on and I do wind up getting a $35,000 deal, which at the time there's about a 10% commission rate yeah. at the time on the software. So I walked into the office and I said, Jim, his name's Jim Kennedy, Kenny, still in the industry, great guy. He's a leader in the space. And I said, Jim, what happens if I close a deal? He's like, did you? And I was like, I just want to know what happens. He's like, did you? And he's looking at me and I ripped out my back pocket where I had the fax contract and I literally slammed it on top of his desk. And I said, I just want to know what happens. So he celebrated it with me and it was, it was a big rush. And he's like, honestly, I don't know what happens because this is not precedented. Like we don't really know what we're going to do. So it was a week before I was leaving to go back to school and I go back and I was like, what are we going to do? And he says, we've decided we're going to pay you your bonus. So I was like, that's great. I'm happy with that. Cause that's going to be like, take me through. And then he pauses for a second, looks over at me and he says, and we're going to pay you the commission on that. So that it basically hooked me right off the bat. Um, on that part because that was a lot. But the bigger thing was just the people I was working with. I fell in love with the process and doing it and going through. So as I then came back, I was an inside sales rep after I had graduated from college, still with the same company. And I had my manager and we went through and six months into the year, we were failing pretty miserably. Mm -hmm. So it's six months in, we have a quota of a million dollars and we have sold something like $9,000 into the year. So everyone else is about 400,000, 500,000. So they're pacing like that. And they had a board up on the area that you'd look at and you saw everyone else's little cars that were moving along and there's ours is just chilling in the parking lot, just waiting. <laughs> so the, the two of us, we, we, got into it a little bit just coming through because he was far more experienced than I am. And he said, we have, we're doing all the right steps. We're following this. We're, we're making the calls. We're going through the deals will come. But I was like, well, they're not coming fast enough. Like look at our car. It's stuck. Um, but he was patient and went through, but we had done something called the grid for managerial effectiveness. It was right when I started, it was a 70 hour, in a four-day time frame program where you went through and you learn a lot about yourself and like what's important to you and different styles and so the optimal style is nine nine which is the highest concern for productivity the highest concern for people then you have the one ones of the world that are they don't care about people or productivity so not necessarily who you want on the team <laughs> and then you've got like the five fives that are like, you know what? People are important. Productivity is important, but I have a golf game. So I'm going to do this where I wanted to be a nine, nine, but I'll admit like there were points where I would revert to productivity, maybe a little more over people and coming through. And so I was saying to him, like, I am not comfortable with this. And he, he did a good job of kind of backing me out. And I was like, I think you're not going out enough and meeting with the customers. And he's like, I think you shouldn't complain as much about me. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And I respect that. And I got the feedback and went through. And the two of us 
had a very tough meeting where we did that. But we came to an agreement. We said, you know what? We're in this together. Like, I'm a young, right out of college kid. I think I know everything. I know basically nothing. He has a lot of experience. I had the hunger. <clears throat> we were able to team that, excuse me, team that together. And we finished the year as the number two team at 146% of quota. So we, the second half of the year, we drastically outperformed every other team and delivered. So not enough to be actually in first place, which I really struggled with that because I wanted to be at the top. Um, <laughs> so, and then I did get promoted to an outside sales role after that. And, and I really just, I loved every minute of it. I really did. And I, I still do. So understanding people and going out and different companies and, and what to do. I just really enjoyed going out there and solving problems. And we had really a great product, which helped. But the big thing was I just loved being out in front of the customer. And then there's a lot of other stories where as far as where I, I learned just along the way how to do things better. So another fun example is a absolutely phenomenal CEO of mine by the name of Sean O'Neill, which hopefully he'd be okay with me sharing that <laughs> part because it's going to be an embarrassing story about me, not about him. We had a meeting with one of the largest casino companies in Las Vegas. So I won't say the name of the company, but that just, but a very big deal that you would know the name of. <laughs> and this CEO had just started literally probably two weeks before. So I had not met him in person yet. Um, but at my style at that time was I had an inside salesperson who set a million meetings for me and I didn't do any research on any of them. I literally would show up in the room and I would figure out who I'm meeting with when I was like this looking across from them. And I did it all day, every day. And he, I would do 10 or 15 meetings in a day. And then I would have all the notes and follow up and I would do all those steps. So once I was in the room, I would do all the work and go through. So, so I did my homework, but not on who I would be meeting with. So on this particular day, the CEO who had just joined, he sits down with me and he starts asking me questions. And he's like, so who are we meeting with? And I was like, I, I don't know. He's like, what do you mean you don't know who we're meeting with? What's the agenda? We don't have an agenda. And he's looking at me like, we need, and he literally said, we need to cancel this meeting. We're not ready for it. Can you call them? Can you call them now and cancel it? And I was like, I can't call them because I don't know who we're meeting with. Like, I just know it's, it's in this <laughs> building, the big casino, which is, this is a, one of the biggest casinos in Las Vegas is being built at the time. Uh -huh. And we're there at the site of where it's being built. And the what year is this? I'm not going to say the year because <laughs> they can wrap through, but it's one of those. And I'll, I will say okay. the person we were meeting with had his Ferrari Enzo parked in the lobby of the old hotel that they were tearing down to build the new one. Uh -huh. So someone in the industry can probably put together, but I'm still, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm honoring and not saying. So we were meeting with that person who yeah. was in the room as far as that. And the CEO who I worked with many years after that and is truly one of the most exceptional people you could ever like he truly is he's genuine man of ultimate integrity and just phenomenal and was pretty much potentially going to be the end of my career right as it was kind of taking off because I certainly was not prepared in his mind and and by the time he was done talking to me in my own mind as well because I had massive confidence just in general that's just I just did like going through and I was like oh no we've got this and then I was like he's right 
I'm not ready for this. What are we going to do? And then it just so happened that when we walked into the room, everything was set up almost perfectly where every single question that was asked in the meeting happened to be the very next slide I had in the deck. So as the questions are being asked, I would say, Kelly, that's a great question, and then pull up and have a slide that would have the detail and the graphics behind what they asked. And we came essentially to an agreement in the room on this. We were in a very competitive situation. And then the CEO of this major casino company said, so why are we even meeting with the other company? It seems like this ha meets all the boxes. And then my main sponsor of that deal said, well, I guess we're done. And we were and wound up winning that deal that led to many others. But I learned a really valuable lesson then. And I can tell you, anytime I had a meeting with my CEO after that, he had a typed agenda with every <laughs> single person that was going to be in the room, as well as everyone else. And I also realized that that was a much better way to be doing this anyway. So I realized that the work you do before the meeting is as important as it is after. And people that are going to overjudge this story, you do have to realize the time we were in when this was happening was very different because you didn't Google it because there was no Google. It hadn't been invented yet, so you couldn't no. Google the Google. So literally all the meetings were set just on the phone hammering and going through there. So the type of research you can do about people now is drastically, drastically different. So now when I go into a meeting, I go through on this, or if I'm going to be with the famous Kelly Cardenas, I have to read every book he has out there, which also help you to grow a business. And it took a lot of time because 276 podcasts. So I, what I did is I had five or six of them playing at the same time. So I go through and say, hold on, wait, Kelly Cardenas. Now he's talking to a Super Bowl champion and now he's coming across as far as that. So, you, and then it's Mike Yagley, another giant of oh, the man. Carlsbad community who I learned on the Kelly Cardenas podcast. I've known Mike Yagley literally for years. Yeah. He's an awesome guy. I love him. I knew he was at Puma Golf. I knew all about that. Little did I know he was also, I, and I did know he had done something with Boeing just because I had heard that in yeah. crossing. Then I, I am listening to the Kelly Cardenas podcast and I find out he had something to do with the Patriot missile and all of this. And you realize, and I knew Mike was a very smart guy cause just because it comes across, right? Like yeah. he's a great guy. Genius. He's smart genius. No question about it. And just a person you really like, right? And then you realize it's like, hold on, while I was out here, you know, slinging software, going through that, <laughs> Kelly's cutting hair, he's designing the Patriot missile yeah. as far as that. So... <laughs> So, so this is a lot of fun. So take me to this, though, because it takes a lot of confidence to walk into that. Now, for all the people that are listening, please don't go into your next meeting and be like, hey, I'm going to wing it. Because when I say this, Nick, I want to take us back to college, though, because you going into that meeting, you had constantly prepared yourself through different areas. And very few people are congruent in their life. But when I heard this story in, in college and how you were building things with, through your fraternity, I was like, that's exactly when... When I heard that story, that was probably five or six years after we talked the first time in the pool. Sure. I was so blown away by what you, what you were doing when you told me at the pool. I was like, man, this guy is, the, is amazing. So to put it in perspective, Nick built a, uh, helped to be able to build a company from $5 million and sold it for $500 million. That, that company sold for $500 million. That Am I correct? correct? And that, that is, was just so it's crystal clear. I was 
a salesperson at the company. So I, I was the top performer on a very strong team. And there were a lot of people. And I was not one of the more senior people just as far as when I started. Uh -huh. But at the end, that is right, 500 million. And the way I look at it, it's really, though, the friendships and the relationships that were created. That's the real treasure. Yeah. And you know what? The 500 million is nice, too. The 500 <laughs> million is kind of cool, though, too. But but when, when we talked about that, I was like, wow. I mean, this is amazing because most people, uh, being a being able to be a part of something like that is massive, but also you're the top sales uh, in that in that realm. But then when you told me a year ago about college and how you created parties in fraternities, I was like, oh, I get it. Can you break down the sure. parties? Um, we won't go through all the details. We'll spare Marcy of that um, and the Carlsbad community. That. She would appreciate that. We'll keep it at a very high level. And it, and remember, this was in the this was in the mid '90s, so in the environment. And we did ha we had a lot of fun, but it was just creating situations where everyone had fun, and that was the part I looked at. So I was the rush chairman. So I spent time. Are like, you going to give a to shout out to your fraternity or what? I'm, I won't, You're probably I, not going to? I'm probably not going, just because of the different things. Like, I just try and be careful. We'll just say it was one of the major ones at Indiana at the time. And we'll say, you know what, I'll, I'll give the shout out and say it was the Indiana Gamma chapter of one of the major national fraternities. Okay. So we'll right. leave it at that. Okay. Um, you are so diplomatic. I just you're, try. You're you try amazing. try and catch me, get me in trouble. You're I'll amazing, man. So I'll, I'll go no. through. But what I learned was, so first I was rush chairman, and that was I wanted to bring in the right people into the fraternity. That part was was very real in that, and, and it was people I wanted to hang out with. And then we would have, we had a $30,000 per semester budget for Kay. social, which Sounds like a lot of money, and it is a lot of money, especially for college kids that are ones planning and going through it. But the the previous semesters before I was social chairman, we would have maybe one party a month, and because you would spend a lot of money and you would have beverages for everyone and all the different things and fruit hire punch, a band. Fruit prime. Punch. Would they have fruit prime? Punch. They didn't have prime. Oh, they yet, didn't have prime. I'm sure we, we would have loved <laughs> it if they had. But so what I realized is the bands we were booking because I, I would spend the time and talk to them, I realized that they it's not like they were rolling in it, like they were good bands going through there, and you would pay them, I think it was $1,500 for them to do an event. And I realized that if I were willing to give them more than the $1,500 and give it to them up front, so for instance, if I said, what if I were to give you $3,000, I'll give you the entire $3,000 today, would you play three shows so it would have been 4500 but would you do that for 3000 and they'd say yeah well you're going to pay it now like you'll give us the money now and trust that we'll come back and show up and they all said yes they were willing to do that and they all came back we didn't have a single one that took the money and didn't show up and fulfill that and we didn't have contract like it, there probably was a contract but it was not one like the ones i go through now <laughs> it was on that and then i went to the um, local punch store, I guess you'd call it. So, and I, I talked to the. the uh, this was at the. Manager. This was at the. Um, the youth Big group. Punch, the, the youth group. The, there you go. Right. The youth group where you got punch and. So I added up everything we were spending, and we were going to all the different places, and you were only allowed to buy seven or seven and a half at a time, just because that's a rule. But everyone did the same thing. Where you seven and a half what? Cases of punch. of punch. So, you, but <laughs> we were buying thousands of 
those cases. So I, I realized I had all the receipts because we kept them and we kept records. And I saw we were going to all the different places and doing it. So I went to each of the managers and I just walked in cold and said to the managers, like, this is what we spent last semester. I would like to only come to you. And most of them were like, we're going to sell it anyone. Someone's going to come in here. And then one of them said, yeah, I'd love you to give all business. I'll take off $2 off each case if you only shop with me and we'll make like cool signage for you. And I'll also add in these other things. And I was like, okay, that's great. I, I love that. And then we also went out to the other um, fraternities in the area and realized if we partnered together and we had good relationships with the really good sororities, which it was free for them. We, we realized, okay, you guys come. But then we went to some of the other fraternities and they had a good budget too, but they weren't having a lot of luck with that. So, and then I was very upfront with them. I'd say, this is the band we have. Would you like to do this event for you? But my ask is going to be, you're going to pay for a bigger part of this event. And all of them said, we'll give it a shot. But what they were worried about was fights are coming through. So I actually brought the entire chapter together and sat everyone down and said, this is our vision. This is our plan. We're not, we don't want to be known as the people that are fighting because who wins in that? Nobody. And if we're going to partner with this other fraternity, your job is to make sure every single one of them has an exceptional time, just has a fantastic time, has fun. They're guests here. And I don't care if it's not someone you necessarily see eye to eye with or not. Like, we're trying to build something on this. So we were able to make sure each of those groups basically had their favorite party they had had. And it went really well so like as far as coming across and we were able to go instead of one or two parties a month we were able to essentially have one every Thursday Friday and Saturday like pretty much right through so like that was it was a lot of fun as far as going through and then you realize the the skills as part of that were making people feel good and at Amaze Insights as we're building this company we realized and it's not from the business side, it just, it feels good to make people feel good about themselves. So wow. we, although we're building a data and analytics company and our product is just absolutely phenomenal and it is, that part is true. But what we're really building is a community of some of the best people in the hospitality industry because we know those people already. And then there's another person that's, that's helping us. So similar to college where um, there's these conferences called BiTAC, and Rich Viola is the CEO. And as I was looking for places to invest and go through, Rich helped me in looking at different companies and coming through. And he said, anything you need, I'm here for. Like, basically, he was there as a partner even before. So I pitched him the idea of doing the Amaze Insights Awards. And it was really just a kernel of an idea. And he's like, you know what? I'm in let's do it. He's like, I'm, I'm going to put my trust in you that we'll pull this off. And I had originally been pitching it to do it in 2024 or further out. He had a conference coming out in four months and he's like, let's do it in four months. So I was nervous, but I said, okay, let's do it. And we decided to add some fun components. So out here in this area, there's a Tom Cruise impersonator. <laughs> um, I hired him to come and do the event and come through. And my CEO, who's also absolutely phenomenal, Jamie Job, she's like, I don't get it. Like, 
why would someone want to have their picture taken with someone who, because he looks like Tom Cruise, but I knew <laughs> people would want to because my amazing wife, Marcy, her 40th birthday, I surprised her with the same impersonator and every single one of her friends had an absolute great time and he just had the right personality. And that's where I look at really from you, Kelly, is creating the right vibe, the right environment for success. And that's what I tried to do is kind of bring the Kelly Cardenas to the BiTAC event and make sure people had a great time and launch our Amaze Insights Awards. And one of our award winners is uh, Mary Grace McCaffrey, who's just really a phenomenal person. She works with um, developmentally disabled people and just does so much for the community and our industry. And right at the beginning, I'm standing there with my CEO, Jamie, who's awesome. And she sees the Tom Cruise impersonator last. And I had not planted this with Mary Grace. Mary Grace is like, oh my gosh, I've got to go. I need my picture taken with Tom Cruise and runs over. <laughs> so Jamie looks at me, smiles and says, all right, I'm sorry, you got it. So I, with the good news is for our 2024 Amazing Sights Awards, she gave me carte blanche to do something fun and creative. <laughs> now I'm just going to need you, Kelly Carbines, as my... Uh, vibe consultant to figure out what I'm going to do uh, February 4th to the 6th at the uh, Ritz-Carlton Sarasota when we do the next Amazing Sights oh. Award. Well, I want to talk about this too because I, I think it's so important the way in which, because a lot of people look at and say, "My, I have the resources uh, to do something. Other people who go to levels Look, don't look at the resources. They look at the resourcefulness that they have. And sure. when you, you did the resourcefulness thing in college, and then when I asked you about the Amaze Awards, it wasn't that you went out and created this whole convention on your own. You went to a relationship that you had built over years and then connected with them. And so can you talk about the, the camaraderie and the connection point and collaboration as opposed to just trying to do it on your own? That's a, a really good point. And it also, it almost happened without thinking about it, where I was just sharing with one of my friends, Rich, this is what I want to do. And I did know that that was a potential spot, but really I was looking for advice because he had done so many successful conventions. He does 15 to 20 conventions every single year and everyone has a great time at these and business is created. So I was just like, how do I do that? And that's where he's like, we do it together and this is how and helps. So it is those relationships that were created really over a long period of time naturally create some opportunities which have, have greatly helped me. And the other part is I just love talking to people. So when you talk to people and find out different things about those people, opportunities wind up coming up. So when we found Amaze Insights, um, the chairman that I'm working with who will will save his name for a later Kelly Cardenas podcast episode, <laughs> but a phenomenal person in the industry who has built an incredibly successful company. He and I wanted to do something together. And so we had that relationship that had been built over time. And then my brother Lee, he actually su suggested that we go and look at Jamie Job Consulting because she's one of the most respected names in the entire hospitality industry. And his idea was go out there, buy Jamie Job Consulting, and then have her create a reporting platform because that's one of the biggest challenges that's facing our industry. And my brother, he's a big player and really does know the space well. And he also mentioned another name, Mike Kenny, who's one of the most brilliant people that worked with us at New Market, <clears throat> and then Amadeus. And so 
he did not realize, and I did not realize, that Jamie Job and Mike Kenny had been partnering for two years before we showed up, and they had actually built literally the exact platform that we wanted and that we wanted to build and create because we knew the industry needed it. They had spent the last two years with one of the major players in hospitality and built out exactly what we were looking for. So she, Jamie Job, shared with me, well, would you like to see, at the time it was called a maze with two A's, so different name, but same product. And I saw it and was blown away. So I told the person who's, who's now our executive chairman, I was like, you've got, you've got to see this. Um, so we're, we had looked at probably a hundred companies before this and for very, some of them we really liked, but they were out of our price range. Some of them we didn't really like, <laughs> and then others were, were maybes that we were like that we could probably find a way to do this. And then when I saw this, I was like, you need to get on a zoom literally right now and see this. And he, he saw it and he was like, I love the people. He's like, is this a real issue? Is this something that people are concerned with? And I had been doing it for 25 years. So I was like, yes, this is a huge issue. So he and I then set up five meetings with some of the biggest players in the industry. And we said as part of it, which was the truth is this is probably not a fit for you, but we just want the feedback. So five out of five of them looked at it and they said, not only do we think this is applicable, like this is something we need for our business. So we, realized that we should be putting our money where our mouth is and and worked through with Mike and Jamie and and came to an agreement and we we had a plan when we looked at this where um, because their launch partner they were already in about 350 hotels we said if we can add another 150 hotels in 2023 then we're really on to something and we can make this into something very viable um, Tell them how many though now. So, <laughs> so uh, let's uh, hold on. I sure. want to get these numbers straight because you said we're in how many? 350. 350 so, so at the time. This is December of 2022 is when the investment was made and I have joined the company. Yeah. So at that time we're in 350 yeah. hotels, really one good customer and okay. great product, great customer service by Jamie and Mike. Like they had done all the right things. They had we had vetted the application and it, it passed everything with flying colors. It really mm -hmm. was. So the people were right. The product was right. And we looked at it and we said, we can grow this to be a successful company. We see that. And, and we were behind it and we got an investor team together and said, okay, there is something here. And we were, we did our total addressable market. We looked at this and as part of that, we said, there's the top 15 management companies will never buy this and the big brands will never buy this because the assumption was they have the resources to do it themselves. So we looked at that and we said, but we could still build a great business and hit this part of the market. We missed on that and I'll tell you how in a minute, just, just looking at, and we said, but if we could get it into 150 hotels, then we know we're on to something. Um, as of... Just over two weeks ago, we had crossed 650 hotels on the platform, um, and now we've signed off 
and we have 1800 hotels signed up and, and ready to go. So, okay. So that, this is the reason why I, I love you. I'm not, not the only reason why Nick, but I mean, number one, you're so humble. But number two, like, you'll throw numbers at me, and then you'll just move on, like you just said, past the potatoes, right? It's like, okay, it was 350 hotels. We projected 150 more, so we'll get you for 500. And now we're talking about 1,800. That's right. Okay, and you just sit there normal. Like, you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see him, and he, he didn't even shift in his chair. He's like, that's right. That, I mean, <clears throat> let me say it again. 350. <laughs> was the was the existing the projection was 150 more yeah 150 more so let's get to 500 yeah so now we're sitting on 1800 of some of the top accounts in the nation and around the world and it's it it blows my mind and I want to talk about this because you and I were discussing it a little bit when you grow at that rate how can you get yourself prepared for that type of growth, because this type of growth a lot of times kills companies. And so we are very fortunate in the team has massive experience in the industry and understanding. And then the group that invested in this company had scaled and built companies. So without sharing exactly who those investors are, but we'll just do some rough numbers. So the team had sold a company for $50 million. 500 million and a billion. So those are the people that saw something in this and went through. <laughs> Can you say that again slow? Because this is, again, like the difference between advice and counsel. One of my friends, Greg Reed, he said a lot of people seek advice, which is that you seek a, uh, the opinion of people who have never done it. Yeah. Then they're seeking counsel, which is someone who's done it, and you're getting their insight on it already happening. So that's exactly right. And this team, because they had learned lessons. In Say the numbers growth, again, Nick. 50 million, 500 million, a billion. And when we are speaking of those in context, those are companies that did what? what when you're talking 50 million, 500 million, 100 billion, they sold for that much. Sold for that. So there was an exit for a group of people in those. One of those was not in our industry. Two are in our exact industry. So they had done this in the hospitality technology space. So they understood what to come through on a market. And then I have another really good friend, Michael Carpenter, who he's he's been kind of my right-hand man running shotgun on a lot of deals. And he, like, as just I was looking at what to do next, like, he was very helpful. And I was just trying to go with my background. And I don't like to say, like, I'm, I'm getting more comfortable with the numbers because once I put it down on paper and he said, the only thing he would say is if he was inter a reference for me in a company is a lot of people will say that they could do a $100 million deal. And then there's a group of people who have actually done it, which I have. So I have done one deal that was a hundred million before. So like everything you learn in going through that and it is, it's interesting the lessons you learn as part of that. And then also seeing the growth of the company I was a part of and all of the different ways it comes through. And then the companies that I have friends that have also done and been really successful. So I learned lessons through them and sought advice from the people who have done this and what they shared was, these are the pitfalls. This is what you need to do. And this is part of when we 
really did take this fully to market. We had done all of the testing and details to be able to say, not just, oh, we think we can pull this off. We think that we can do this. It is, this is how we'll do it. And we were actually able to take people's real data and then show it back to them to say, this is what Amaze Insights brings to the table. So this is your data mm-hmm. in the environment with all the visualizations and everything else. Because this is one of the things that's interesting about this. Business intelligence, everyone thinks they already have it. And they do a lot, have a plan and a program. And then they see what we've built and they say, okay, well, we don't have that. So we, we, <laughs> we have this over here or we have Excel spreadsheets, which not to badmouth Excel. Excel is a great program, but it's not how you should be running your business. Because if you think about hospitality executives, they're a lot of brilliant people. They are, and they're really, really good at what they do. But some of the really exceptional ones, they don't want to be doing a pivot table in Excel and like running it through. They want to know, am I doing better than I was doing in years previous? And how am I going to finish out this year? And that's where our tool just pops exactly that. So what challenge, I mean, like people always talk about, and you even talked about it in sales, you weren't selling anything. You were just solving somebody's challenge and servicing them at a high level, right? And so to the person that, you know, maybe hasn't heard of uh, Amaze Insights, which after this, everyone, you you need to understand it, and especially in the hospitality industry. I, I mean, I'm so excited for what it is that you're doing. If you were to explain it to Maddox at 11 years old. Sure. What would be the challenge that Amaze Insights solves? That's a great way to put it. And so what I would say is making the complex simple is what we do. So we would take something that's really, really hard. And if I were talking to Maddox, I would probably put it into football terms. And I would say, Maddox, instead of me saying, run a slant and cut it at this, although Maddox would know exactly what I was talking about on that, what I would say to Maddox is, if not everyone knows what a slant is, do you think it would be helpful for those people to have a picture of that on their wrist that they can look down to and say, okay, I go up this far and then I cut and I go that way? It makes it easier, right? Yeah. Well, and that's what Amaze Insights does is we take extremely complex calculations and data from all sorts of different sources and we tell you this is what's happening so then you can make a better decision on what you should do next. So it's... it's a view into your own business to really understand what's happening at a much, much deeper level. So when, when I read the book, um, how the mighty fall by Jim Collins, it's not a book that that was really popular. Uh, good to great was phenomenal. It was a red book, um, and a red cover stood out how the mighty fall. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was actually a black book and it was a lot smaller. It was about that size. And I was inspired by that book for the size, and I actually went off that size. In that book, it listed off, I think it was five or six things that every single company that was mighty and from good to great, they fell and they all had the exact same characteristics. So one of which was hubris. And I didn't know actually what the word meant. Um, I, I had to go look it up. I and believe that, Kelly, because you're a very humble man who's done amazing things. So <laughs> I like that. So I was looking at it. And I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh. And you went through and, and it was a pattern for every company that got to those levels and then they dropped off. Every single one of them had the exact same traits and you saw it. And so I was reading it at, when we were on the way up, like with our company as we were on the way up. And I was starting to become aware of these things. 
one of which was hubris, you know, just thinking that someone's gonna, something's going to succeed because you succeeded before. Sure. Ego, right? Your ego gets yeah. into it. So when you're flying and moving at the speed of light like you are, 350 was the existing, 150 on top of that was the projection to 500. We're now at 1,800, but Nick's not done. Nick is on a mission. Like, you're on a mission, and Amazing Sight's on a mission, and you guys are, are at this trajectory. What are some of the things that a company, if they want to move at that type of speed, what are some of the indicators that they could look at that are that they're going to come in contact with i you you bring it up perfectly and where i will come back and really your book is helpful so coming on that and but thinking on that but the biggest thing that i would say is hiring the right people for attitude as opposed to skill set now if you can hire someone with a fantastic attitude and the entire skill set then that's who you obviously want to hire but if you gave me the choice of someone that had a relatively limited but trainable skill set but a fantastic attitude, or if you told me there was someone that had the whole skill set, the whole toolbox of what we needed, but a really bad attitude, I'm not gonna hire the person with the bad attitude, even if they have the phenomenal skill set, because what it does is it poisons the organization. Where if you think about, if you have the right team in place, you can train the different items, and it's much easier to train a skill than it is an attitude. So that's where I think, what I have so much respect for you is the positive attitude and what you bring to the table. And then I, I noticed when you were coaching football, when someone drops a ball, it's not, why didn't you drop that ball? It's go build them up, build that person up. And to me, that is why I love spending time with you because I, I look at things in that same way is how can we help make people better and be a positive influence and leave situations better than they were when we came into it. Because to me, that's so important. And that's what we're building as a company. And our investor team, our board, senior leadership team, and who are bringing, we're all built in this very similar way of we want to do something great for the industry. We want to make the industry better and better for the people. And that's the key of it. And the success that is going to come as part of that, like, that's a byproduct, but not the goal. Like it really is. Mm. How do we make people happier in their jobs and have fun with what they're doing and just bring truly joy into it? Because that's the part where I think falling in love with your current circumstances, <laughs> like a, a really famous podcaster I've heard say <laughs> that. And I, I really do believe in it. And like, I was catching up with one of my friends on the way into the school today and talking about, well, what would you do if you won the lottery? And it's like, you know what? We, all, we already have. Let's look at it with that mentality of we're living in a great time and a great place around great people, so we have that. Now, would it be nice to throw a Lambo in it with it? Sure, it would. <laughs> and I'm willing to try that part out to go through. Yeah. And, and great, but I really am truly happy and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing and I I was fortunate enough to have that for 25 years with really a great company that we are doing something now that is additive to what I spent the first part of my career building so I love that part of it too where it would be not nearly as much fun as if 
let's just say I had a competitive product that went against what I used to build and sell, then I had to poke holes in that. Like that wouldn't fit me and my persona where if I could look at, you know, what I, all those benefits I talked about before, you're still getting those, but now you can also do this on top of it. And that's what I really love about this is the ability to do the right thing for the people that I had worked with all these years. And there just are so many phenomenal people that are in this space. And I've had a lot of fun doing it and I'm still having just a, a ton of fun. doing. How it. does a person get out of, if they're in the sales process right now, or they're maybe in that, which I believe every single person is selling, no matter sure. what, no matter what you're doing. I mean, uh, some people that, like, well, you're not in sale. You're using the, you know, you're, you're doing the podcast. I'm still selling the podcast. Like the, the podcast, you got to listen to it. Um, and, we talk about like the personal branding, the, all those things. How does a person go from the mentality of selling that sometimes this has this persona on it into the relationship space that you talk about? Because you told me a story about one time and you just used it as an example. We were playing pool and you were blowing my mind the whole time. It was unbelievable. And you said that a lot of times you'll have, you know, you take somebody to a Padres game and because you have already developed the relationship, with them. If you have a new product, take them to the Padres game. You guys are having a beer, having a hot dog, or having some fruit punch. And um, you just turn to them and be like, oh, I got this. Um, if you want it, it's cool. If not, that blew my mind because most people are like, no, I'm, I got a 17-point PowerPoint presentation that I'm going to pull them away from the game, and then I'm going to go into mode. And you know when a person goes into mode. How can a person go from the selling into relationships because that's pretty much the holy grail, I think, in business, if you can get there. I, and I think the key is take a step back and just get to know the person. So who you're spending time with and enjoy that and understand what are the challenges that they're facing. And if what you have isn't the right fit for those specific challenges they're having, then there's someone else that probably is having those challenges to go through. So it's truly care and position and understand. So if you are able to seek to understand before you seek to be understood, it goes a very long way. And, and it's genuine and people understand that where, and at the top tier of the sellers, it, it's true across the board. Like the other people I know that have had massive success, it is very similar where they're not really pushing the product or going through, they're taking the time to really understand what is going on and each person's KPIs, what's important to that specific person. And then a lot of times you'll wind up finding the solution just as part of it. It's again, it's almost a byproduct of that where you're not just pushing and saying, I have this thing and it's great. And the other part I've seen a lot of is greener salespeople, as soon as someone says, I have this challenge, they immediately want to shove the product in and say, oh, well, I, I, can, I can solve that, and this is how. Where I, I like to take the time to say, oh, that is anyone else affected by that challenge you have because this is happening to you, or are there any other downstream impacts, and what are some of the other things that happen? So if you take the time to understand, and I don't necessarily even come right back with the product, but then if three weeks down the road and you are able to then come back and say, oh, you know what? I was talking to my buddy Kelly Cardenas and he said X, Y, Z, have you thought about this? And then you, you it becomes a lot more natural and it, it's counterintuitive, but the bigger the deals get, 
the more you can do it at that level and the more people are involved. So when you're talking about a three, four, five thousand dollar deal, one person can usually make that decision and go through. When you're talking about a five, ten, fifteen, twenty million dollar project, there are very few people. There are some, like Kelly Cardenas on the Kelly Cardenas <laughs> podcast can make that decision as long as Brooklyn says yeah, green exactly. light, go ahead. <laughs> but in in a large organization, there's very few people, even if they can, that are going to make that decision. So it's understanding all the different components. And the other part is it's it's usually a prioritization game. So what other priorities are they looking at? Because a lot of times people think, I sell this product, I'm competing with all the other people that sell this product. No, you're competing with the guy that sells carpet and the woman that sells anything else into the organization for those priorities and you're also competing with doing nothing because that's the easiest thing to do is not make x investment so it's once you understand that part of it i think it simplifies the game pretty substantially let's talk about the preparation because this this is something that is is massive where when you were talking about you guys' growth as far as Maze Insights, you guys were looking five, ten years down the line before you even launched, and you had that counsel. So let's break it into I, let's break it into a couple of buckets. Sure. What were some of the counsel that the fifty million dollar exit gave you, like the practical sure. application and saying like you need to be looking out for this? What was that? So the biggest thing on that was was understanding how to scale responsibly. So not go out there, because you at the time we were looking, you could go out and raise a ton of money and just kind of burn through it. It is be very, very tactical in how you plan for the growth that can come so you can take that on so that you're able to basically any money you take on, it you're encumbered by it. So, because then you have to get a return against that and the different parts. So, if you are able to start on a, from a lower point, mm -hmm. what you're able to do is actually sometimes a lot more. So, you have to be a little more creative in the spend and coming across, but that was part of the council. And, and it was also the, the same part of bringing in the right people. So, the people that have the skill set but again, it goes back to attitude. So it is the right part. And then the 500 million part, he was like all about the taxes, making sure you're paying the exact right taxes and collecting this. Because if you're not doing it right <coughs> when you're smaller, it becomes almost impossible once you become large. So like figuring out all the different places you do business and what that's going to bring on. And then also being very smart about where you focus your resources for the growth at the beginning. Um, so really we're, we're starting with these are the right type of accounts. So it's not just going for growth as far as the number. You want to partner with the companies who are really good to work with, and that is what we've done. We have been very specific in who we've even pitched this to because we want to ensure that we have the right partners that are going to give us the feedback that makes this much better in 18 months than it is today. And How so do, where do you, where do you get the patience though? Because the, the, the takes the patience and it takes a belief and it takes a faith and a foundation and a hope because a lot of times when people do a startup or they're, they're, they're 
I mean, they already have a, a leeway, but they're going to scale. They're looking at like, I think this stuff in the heart that you're talking about is amazing, but man, we need money now. And, but then they end up hurting themselves in the long run. How can a company, if they're at that point, like, how could you encourage them to maybe stiff arm this investor or this venture capital because it's ultimately going to control their company when they're trying to tell you, but Nick, it's a lot of money that's coming in. And I think that part is, is and there are a lot of <clears throat> really good private equity and venture capital firms out there. There really are some exceptional ones yeah. who are going to help you scale your business and grow your business, but you really have to understand and do the research on because they are different. And are they going to be the right partner to take you to scale? Or is it also something that you can do bootstrap to bring together? Bring together? So if the two of us were going to do a venture and we did it on that, it would be a lot cleaner if we were able to do it without other people's money. Because once you bring that into the equation, then you do have a responsibility to that side. And if you say we could do this in six months and they say well, we need it in three months, if it's not realistic to deliver against that, then you're creating a, a pretty significant challenge for yourself. So at the billion dollar level, um, you know, when the, the, the company, what's the advice from the billion dollar company? So, so taxes was here in the middle at the 500 million. That was a, a large one in the allocation and making sure that we understand the type of partnerships. The first one was to get like, don't take money from just anyone, make sure that you're doing a right partner. What was the third? What was that, that billion dollar? Interestingly, exit? all about creativity. So I think on that, cause, and that is someone who did creatively scale to that business on yeah. that. And so, especially at the early stages and that one was a startup, a startup. Hold on a hundred billion dollar exit. And they were talking to you about creativity. Not a hundred billion. Sorry. No, no, one, a billion, a billion, billion, one billion, one, yeah. one billion. I said 100 billion. 100 well, billion. I, I should do this. I should have a cat. Billion. I should yeah. have a cat with me too, stroking the cat. I've got the chair so I can move around. That's that right. way. So the billion dollar company, they sold for a billion dollars and they came to you and talked to you about creativity? Create, that's how that business was scaled, especially at the beginning. Creative solution and that and, and, true, and belief in going through. And this is where we have a strong female CEO, which I think now is more important than ever. I really do. I think it, it's, it's actually the first time in my career that I have worked for a female CEO just because that's, that's the way it happened. Yeah. And honestly, this has been, it's been phenomenal. And Jamie has the vision and the perspective and the experience in the industry to do this and go through. And it is, you have... And it could also be personality, but on this, it is a different mentality and it has already helped us in a lot of different ways where she's taking the time to listen to everyone on the senior leadership team and not just say, we're doing this because of that. Um, Outside of the, the, the listening, the, that listening part, which is a massive one, what is the, uh, and not to demonize, we're not going to demonize the guys that are out there doing it, but I mean, it is a different perspective for me being in the professional beauty industry for 30 years. Um, when people talk to me about like connecting with women, it, it, it wasn't, 
it wasn't anything new to me because, you know, 75, 80% of my industry was women. And then probably 95% of the women who were sitting in my chair were, were women. Right. So I, the, I was privy to that part. But what has been the major differences uh, for you? You know, you said that the listening part is massive. What else have you seen? Well, and it's also, it is, especially right now in this environment, it is good when we do panels at trade shows and that because there there was a, without getting into specifics, there was a pretty major hospitality trade show and they did a panel on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they had this panel and it was set up and they had five older white males <laughs> as the panel. <laughs> and no one caught and said, maybe we should rethink this. Um, and we, I, BiTAC that I mentioned before, I created a panel for that and it was natural, but we were aware where we, we did have multiple races, multiple genders on there as part of the panel. And I do think it's important to be cognizant of it where it, it helps right now being a company that was, so two founders, one was a male, one was a female, um, that it helps with both of the perspective and that. And I think now more than ever, it is important to have those voices in the room at the table and really help to make sure that happens. And I, I think of it for my daughters. Like I, I am excited for that part to have a company say, that's my boss, that's the CEO. And she's brilliant. She's good. She does all the thing that, things that need to happen to help us scale. So like to me, that's a very positive thing. Um, Nick, you're probably one of the most competitive people that I've ever met, but you do it low key. Wait, one of the most? One of the, well, okay, uh, okay, the the, okay, there we go. <laughs> so, but as, as the kids would say right now, low key, like you're low, low key competitive, yeah. right? And then I got to put this in for my uh, daughter, dead ass. Like, um, I, I had no idea what this meant. Uh, and then I said it and she was like, why are you saying that? But it just means seriously. I'm familiar with that. I didn't know this, but I said it to her the other day. We were at, uh, uh, at daybreak where we're sitting there and Jason, Pastor Jason, who's amazing. Um, Pastor Jason said something and I looked at my daughter and I was like, dead ass. And she, she's like, dad, we're in church. And I said, but but still I'm cool. Like, and she's like, no, you're not cool right now. You know, you're in church. Um, and if Kelly Cardenas can't be cool, (laughs) what does it do for the rest of us? The dad's like this, like. Look at the two of us here. You've got the cool black T-shirt on, a chain of yourself on your neck, and I'm wearing the suit, that, so like that. But again, go ahead on that. So at least it's all of us where I was really cool with the kids younger. Now yeah. it's getting, we're getting to the embarrassing state. In when they're 25, we'll be cool again, though. We're getting so. we're getting tough on the we're getting tough on these. Where was I? What was the, the point? So, so you're at church, she said she said that, but, said. but let's go back before that. What was it? Where were we at? Well, you, were, you, were, you were using dead ass in yes. a sentence as far as in church. You had an epiphany so while I had you were in church one. with McKenna. And well, but I, I think that it's the, the, connect, the connecting point. Well, I want to go to this part because I, I lost my train of thought in it, which is the awesome part of I, I've never been diagnosed with ADD, but I believe I have it <laughs> um, because they, people would want to try and fix it. Um, I'm joking with you. So uh, how, do you, how are you able to manage this, though, the type of growth that you have and not go into the ego side? Because most of the time, again, the hubris, right? So it's like we 
had 350 when we started, like when we went after this company, we projected 150 more, so we get to 500. We're now at 1800, and we're like, we're going, we're going, and we've, we're not taking. And I asked you earlier, how do you pump the brakes? And you were like, I ain't pumping them. Like we're yeah. going. How do you keep your ego in check in that type of environment when, literally, when you're going and you're you're accomplishing the things that most people only dream of? And I think because we have so much more to do. So and that's what I'm focused on. And I also know what my number one job is to be a good father, a good husband. Like that is it and that part and that is my focus. And this part, it is it is important, but I have perspective on this isn't the end game. And like we talked about before, falling in love with your current circumstances. I don't need this to become an X dollar company or that or that in order to be happy because I am happy and I am truly and fully enjoying the ride. And I also know that it's the journey, not the destination. So like, that's the part of it where I'm enjoying every minute of this and the growth. And, and I also am fully aware that we will face some significant challenges. I don't know what they'll be, but I know they will happen. So that, that keeps your head kind of in check knowing that, like the you make plans and God laughs like that part where yeah. so like no wonder no matter what it is you have I know there will be pivots we need to do and changes the the fact is I have the confidence because we have the right people that even if something happens and we had to change it I have confidence that we would be able to deliver against that and it just comes back to by doing the right thing. And if we make mistakes, we'll, we'll own those and come forward. So actually it makes me think Sean O'Neill, the person I met mentioned before where he was so good and just doing the right thing and where he would, if we made a mistake, just say that. So we did a, a big marketing campaign. This is years ago when cordless telephones were still kind of cool. So we were trying to come up with the right giveaway and we had messed up the year before because it was after nine 11 and we gave away little Leatherman's. And we gave them to people at a trade show. So we basically gave everyone a knife right before they were getting on a flight. <laughs> so like that, we're like, can't do that. But we need to make sure our customers know we're listening. So, yeah. so we had the phones printed up. It said, we're listening on them. And they actually looked pretty good. But they were cheap. So he, conservative, so you're not going to spend a ton on the quarter. So we sent all these out. And the things barely worked. So like... That was the joke as far as that. We're here. We're listening. So the idea was we'll give you this cordless phone. You can call us on it. But we gave you a cordless <laughs> phone that didn't really work. But he listened to them that part too. So, Sean, if you're listening, hopefully. Uh, Don't buy people phones again and no Leathermans. No <laughs> Leathermans. I, I remembered what it was. I was talking about the confidence part. And I said you're the, one of the most confident people or competitive people. And you were like one of the most. But when I, when I asked this, can you teach competitiveness or is it something that's born in you or is it is it your environment around it? Because the competitive part, if you I believe this is the holy grail. If you can have a competitive spirit, you add a humility to it, and then you add a phenomenal attitude. I don't think anyone could beat that. I I respect what you're saying and agree completely. And I think the part that is important, and this has been true the whole time, and it is not, at least for me, it just is. When I was competing to be the top sales rep, it was extremely important. It really was important to me, and I wanted to do it, and I thought about it. The key is I never didn't want success 
for everyone else in the organization. I wanted that a hundred percent and I was a hundred, like all the way behind it. I just wanted to sell $1 more than whoever did that. <laughs> so I wanted like Jeff Sears was one of my best friends at the company is still one of my best friends is a phenomenal seller, really hard to compete with because the guy is very good at what he does. And he came in every day and just hammered the phones and went after it. And in the year that, that I was not the number one rep, there were two years, one of the years it was him. What year was it? You remember it. I, I do remember what it. What years? It, it was uh, 2006 and uh-huh. 2009. Do you have them two. tattooed on you? I should. Because Nick, you are, you are the most competitive. Like, like those two, so one of the years. 2006, Jeff 2009. Me, yeah. In 2006, I lost to Jenny Phelps, who she beat me by, we both did like 4.8 million, somewhere in that neighborhood. And she beat me by literally like $14,000. So like any one deal could have done it. And it came down to the end. When Jeff got me, he got me relatively handily. It was like, he got a pretty monster deal at the end. Or I, I thought I was looking good and on that and we both we both hit something like 250 percent of quota that year um but he 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 won by a relatively good stretch and I did celebrate him like I I and I I was happy for him and I really was but it was all it was hard for me and I still look back and it's like what else could I have done where does that come do that. from, though, Nick? I mean, was it born in you? Did your parents teach you this? Where I mean, where did the competitive... Not side? my parents. So my parents taught me amazing lessons, like, <laughs> across the board. Not that part of it. Um, my brother is also highly competitive, so maybe that's part of it, where the two of us, we, we played a lot of NHL and Madden and coming uh-huh. back and forth. So I still have a hard time with him because he... Michigan versus Ohio State, we'd played an entire season, and I find, like, it was impossible to win the national championship against each other because we were relatively similar in skill set, and I had actually gotten all the way there with an undefeated team to the end of the season, and we're less than a touchdown out, and there's, like, a minute and a half in the game, and the whole time the two of us had played, you never downed the ball. You just, you still just would run the plays, run out that, and there he is just, click, kneeing the ball down and just looking over at me and so Lee, I'll, I'll let it slide now on the <laughs> Kelly Cardenas podcast. <laughs> so how how can you how can you foster that? Like how can you foster it but keep because there's the side that, and we see it, we see it here in especially in North County where a lot of times and North County parents, I absolutely love you, but a lot of times you're living vicariously through your kids. Um, as far as in sports, how can you foster a competitive nature but still keep the kid humble and a good sport? I, I, I would love to have the answer to that. And so I'll tell you a quick story that I saw happen on the football field. Actually, this one I didn't see live. I was talking to another dad, and he was at one of the games, and he mentioned something that a, a ref had said to a kid. So he was on the field, and the son, I think the dad was coaching the son was there and dropped a ball. So the ball comes up like that and the dad starts screaming at the kid and you saw like the dejected face on the kid. And this other dad told me that the ref looked over at the kid and just said, is that your dad who's coaching? And the kid's like, yeah. And the ref looked at me, he's just like, I'm so sorry. And that to me, that, that, so I guess I look at and just, that's certainly not the dad that I want to be. And I, I saw you when you were coaching the same way when I was coaching. I looked at it as 
it's not that football game that's important. So my son and the other boys, it is, they're going to be men someday. How do we help them to be better men? Because that's what's important. And really this one, I, I now, as I think about it, I do go back to my dad. And I remember he was my hockey coach and I, I was a kid and I still remember him saying where we had lost a game and he did not have the best players on the ice at the time. And I think I was upset about it, even as a kid where I looked at it. And his word, like we were kind of talking about at the dinner table, and like I think my brother and I were both like, we could have won, like if we had had the best skaters on the ice. And he said, 20 years from now, no one's going to give a shit who won that hockey game, which he didn't use language like that all the time, but he did in this, so that's the quote. Um, he said, but some kid that sat on a bench for an entire game is never going to forget it. So like realizing like what is important and that part, like it, it, you, you have that perspective. And I guess that's kind of the humility side of it is taking a step back and seeing what's important. And I do think <coughs> that the youth sports here do a good job of like saying the lessons, but you don't always see it on the field. And like, I know even, you and me who are here that way, we get into the games and as far as <coughs> look at that. And then you do see the part is what's important is not the score of the game and that it's how the kids feel about themselves during it. So when watching the girls lacrosse games, which I love to watch, seeing how they feel after that, regardless of the score is what you can control is your attitude and your effort. So the outcome of the game, the ref, everything else, you can't control those. You can control your own attitude, your own effort. And if something goes poorly on the field, which it's going to, that's part of life, your ability to come back and do it again, like that is key. And I, I think I go back to Rocky and like his part on it, it's not how hard you can hit, it's how hard you can get hit and get back up again. Mm. And I think there's lessons for, in business to that. Well, what do you what do you say to the person that argues and says, "Well, I mean, you live in a, a really nice area, a really nice neighborhood. It's really easy for you to say, like the paradigm has shifted for you, and it's like, you know, hey, it's it's all about being a good dad, it's about being a good husband. I mean, you don't understand my situation, Mister Nick. Like, I'm in a place where, like, I have to." My kids aren't going to be able to, like we were just talking about, our principal is saying, be kind and loving. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Kids are getting awards and they're doing this stuff. But what happens to the, how, how do you speak to the person that's maybe not in, in that environment? And I think that part is, I am humble enough to know that I, I have not lived in those shoes. And, and I respect that everyone's journey really is different. So yeah. those challenges are unique. And so I really do feel for anyone who has that situation and going through. So I how would could they shift the paradigm like in that, because for you and I, when I'm speaking on this, I, I understand that once that paradigm shifts, it's, it's wild what you see, right? It's amazing what you see and the opportunities that are there. Like my, my friend the other day, he was, he, uh, big shout out to Will. Um, and hypothetically, he gave me this conversation. But he was, he was telling me about a bunch of uh, times in his work and throughout his career that there was a lot of people that were a lot of times wouldn't do their job, show up late, just sure. wouldn't do their job. And what I told him, just from my dad's perspective and from my perspective in business, I said, I invite that. Like, I love when people don't do their job. 
And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, because if they don't, if I, if they don't do their job, I get run, meaning that I get the opportunity to solve a challenge, which means that if they didn't do it and I got to do it, means I got to do it twice. I got to do my job. I got to do their job. Now I got twice as much of experience. Now if there's four people in the organization that don't do it, I'm super excited because now I get five times the experience and no one can touch that. There's nothing that can stand in the place of actually doing it. Because you and I could talk about theory of business, right? Sure. And you're not a coach. This is what I love. Nick, you're not a coach of businesses that sell for 500. No, you've just done it. Yeah. Right? And now we're telling the story of it. So when I was telling him that, he was like, man, I never thought about it that way. Well, most likely I hadn't thought about it that way because, you, I mean, it's just a shift in, in mentality. How, how can a person start to, where does that start and how can they shift the paradigm wherever they're at right now? So I think you bring up a really great point and I look at my own life and as far as that, whenever I'm feeling frustrated on different things, if you take a second back, a, a step back and think about what do you have to be grateful for and really be in the moment, yeah. like that's what I keep coming back to. And what's, what's really interesting is as we were about to grow and scale this company, I took a step back and just wanted to thank, I didn't get nearly to all the people I wanted to, but I really was in a very grateful place and I just wanted to put that out there. And it was really interesting what happened when I went out on what we call my gratitude tour, just going out and thanking people. Well, first there were people like, is Nick okay? Like, is, did something happen? It's like, yeah, he's great. This is because the people that really knew me, they knew everything that was going on. It was like, no, he's actually super happy. So he's just kind of putting that out there. And then the people were good because it was, it was foreign enough for people to see, like just putting out there, like without, I didn't want anything and I didn't. Like it was just putting that out there. The strangest thing happened though, as I was doing that and, and being grateful, there were all these other opportunities that literally showed up on my doorstep as part of it, including a board seat at a company that I, I didn't wind up doing, but it was like nice to engage in those conversations that this is someone that did not know who I was and they were searching for someone else that I was just posting about. And then he, he shared with me that he then started reading all of my posts and he's like, I need to meet this guy. Like, who is this? And why is he posting about all these other people? And really I was just thanking those people. And he's like, and then I was like, I just want to meet that person. So then he wound up seeing, we had a mutual person. They're like, Oh, do you know him? And then, set up but it was just it was strange to think that and I guess all the people that are out there and looking for what is next I guess the advice I would give is realize what you have to be grateful for and people you are grateful to and then just put that out there so it's just like I said to you like in that instance here I am grateful to you and for what you do and what you bring to the community and and all those years I knew who you were because it said Kelly Cardenas out on the signs and you were sponsoring all the school things and the concerts at the park and all those things. And I realize it helps, it truly helps the community. It does that for that. So I just have such respect for that. So that's why it took me three years to get on this, but you know, I just had to make sure that like <laughs> I gave you enough time to continue out the D's. <laughs> so I didn't want to slow you down. Right. Well, let's, let's talk about this too, because it, when you went, uh, when you were doing Amaze and uh, I remember you, Hopefully we could talk about this part of it. And I'm not talking about specific companies, sure. but 
it was a chance. Like you were taking a chance. Like it wasn't like you weren't going to something that was like absolutely 100% secure in that place. You were taking, a, you were, there was a risk involved. How does a person prepare themselves for risk? And how do you know if that risk is for you? It's a fantastic. And on this, I had a very hard decision in front of me because where there were, there were multiple paths and I had multiple offers for are you able to i mean i know we can't talk yeah. about absolute specifics um but can you help the people to understand because when i when i say here's my buddy nick and he's the baddest man like for me one of the baddest men on the planet like in business you're one of my biggest mentors and then like people will be like oh wow that's cool and then i'm like he was the top salesperson for a company that went from 500 or 5 million to 500 million. He's also got mentors that have sold for 50 million, a hundred million and a billion dollars that he has direct access to. Then they start being like, oh, okay, let me listen to Nick because now also sold over $200 million in your career in the software and SaaS part. When I put those parts on the table, it's like, people's ears perk up a little bit. Can you give them some context? I know we're not going to go specific wise because you're a humble guy. That's why God didn't bless me like that because I'd wear a, a superhero suit. I'd <laughs> grease myself up with some baby oil and have a fan in front of me all day being like, this is exactly what I did. Yeah. And I think, cause I just look at where <laughs> it, it, it happened naturally. It just did like as far as going through and it was part of part of all I was doing was being who I am. Like that part is yeah. where, and that's where my friend Michael Carpenter, when he was talking about it, is with the Amazing Sights Awards and recognizing these fantastic people. He said, you've always done this. Like you've always gone out to people and like want to build people up because that part is true where now I just had a platform where I could do it formally and give someone like a large crystal award that looks really nice and then do the posts and the PR and all those other parts of it. So I guess that is, it's hard to describe. I, I, I don't know how to teach someone else to do exactly what I did other than to say, understand who you are as a person and be that, like be who you really are. And that will help create. Cause once you find the right spot and I did, like I was in, the right environment, the right company, and was able to really grow as a person and get better at what, as, at what I was doing, like I said before, by making the mistakes and going in there without the agenda and everything else and learning the lessons on this worked, this didn't work, what can we change, what, what can we go across, where anyone, regardless of their circumstance, if they are able to shift, because the mentality of, and terrible things happen in the world, so I don't want to just, downplay that part mm -hmm. so it is without question on that and I feel for anyone on that but this scenario of how you approach different situations and if you can come back to what are the things you have that you can be grateful for and the people you can be grateful to and are there ways you can help other people so if someone's doing a job search or going through like I'm always more than happy to look at a resume and go through there. And if I can connect someone to someone else in my network and go through there, I feel like as long as it is the right fit that I'm helping both that other organization and that person. So I love 
doing that. In fact, on my way in here, I was I was talking to a, a really good friend of mine. I won't say the name, but just the person. And they were on a bus at the time, and you're not allowed to talk. So, like, would text back that part and just to listen as far as go through on strategy because there was a big interview and just wanted to make sure, re like, ready for and like that. And I, I, I truly love that because if you can help someone get into a better situation, then it pays dividends. And then what happened over the years, I, I have done that. I, I can't even count how many times. Um, then when I need just to get in touch with that person, they're typically going to pick up the phone. And they also know, because I, I don't just call someone because I'm asking for a favor or something like that. Like I truly do want to catch up and learn and go through there. Um, and I do sometimes ask favors too. And then people also know, like, I don't forget that, like the people that come through. So Christine Lawson, who's, she's the chief executive officer of the city of Santa Clara. And I will never forget the kindness that she did to my family when she was the SVP of sales for Kimpton Hotels. So that phenomenal company that just does the right things across the board, like staying at their hotels is awesome. It really is. Well, my dad, we didn't know at the time, but he, he had Alzheimer's and we knew he was kind of starting to forget things, but they were going to San Francisco for a wedding. And I just happened to call my friend Christine and say, you know what, they'd love to stay in a Kimpton. So she put them up in an awesome room at the Sir Francis Drake. And she just made sure there were some special surprise and delights for them. And my dad kept talking about what the great staff, like how amazing they were. And at during that stay, there was someone at the hotel that overheard them talking. So my mom and dad were talking and he said, I forgot to get the Wall Street Journal. And he loved reading the Wall Street Journal. Like that was the thing. And so they just, they overheard that conversation. And the person from Kimpton, which I wish I knew who the person was, I never found out, literally went down the street, bought the Wall Street Journal, knocked on the door and delivered it and said, oh, I heard you mention this part, so I'm dropping it off. So, And then that was just what Kimpton was as a company, and Christine embodied that in, in every way, like really did, just phenomenal person. And so I'm just so grateful to her because that was kind of the last trip my parents took together where my dad was still fully who he was. But I'll also say this with anyone who's struggling with that, like I fully feel for just because seeing what happened to my dad, it was so hard. Um, toward the very, very end when he had a hard time walking and he didn't know who my mom was, sometimes knew who I was and sometimes didn't, he never stopped being who he was because we're there and the man truly could not walk across the parking lot like I had to help him going through. And he sees a woman about his age and he's like, she can't get across the parking lot like that. He's like, I need to go help her. And he like went all the way out there. And then he, there he is like opening the door for her and helping. And that's what I saw. It was like, he still was him. Like that was still there, like who he was as a person. So like, that was really good to see. So I realized that was like a non sequitur story, yeah. like bouncing around, but that's what you bring out, Kelly. But it's, it's right in line, though, because when you hear that story, it's the hospitality part. It's the it, and. But how do you, how do you balance? I, I'm not a balanced guy, but how do you understand when to go which way? I'm a compartmentalization guy. Sure. I don't believe in any balance. I don't believe like I'm going to balance my kids and my wife because then they're each going to get fifty percent and I'm going to fail. And I know what failing's like because I did it in high school a lot. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> grade school too, mom, dad, uh, and middle school. So I think I had some in there too. Um, but I, I, that's a recipe for failure is to balance. I'm going to give 50% to my wife, 50% to my kids. It's, you're going you're gonna to fail. If I compartmentalize and say, I'm with my wife, I'm only husband right now. Awesome place to be, by yeah. the way. I'm with my kids. I'm only dad right now. Now I've got to be a great husband to my wife to show my kids, but I'm dad at that time when I'm at work. People used to get in, I used to get in trouble with this because I, I used to say, there's only two phone calls I'll take. Number one, from the president, because I knew he wasn't going to call me. Number two is from my mom. Yeah. Because I knew the only time that she would call me is when it was real. Yeah. So the compartmentalization, how do you turn these parts on of the gracious humility, hospitality, and the apex predator killer in you? (laughs) And when you laugh, you know exactly what I'm talking about because both of them exist. How do you know when to switch it on and switch it off? And, and have you made the wrong switch at times? I, 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 I mean, I think if you talk to the people, even the ones where I was doing the really large deal with a huge, uh, and, that, and I hadn't slept, I still was me as far as switching. And I think I've tried to be better at that, and I don't do it all the way. The one thing I will say is I read something. It's about the the phone and like the distractedness. And I do think that is a very real problem. And then I became highly cognizant of that because there was a point in time where I was trying to do everything. So I would be with my kids, but I'd also be responding to emails at the same time. And like while we were eating and then I read something where if there's food present, your phone shouldn't be, which I really do like that part where checking out because it's very easy to be like distracted and go through there and not make the most of it. Where if you can, whether you're with your kids or business meeting, any scenario, be truly present and in the moment, what you're going to find are much better things wind up happening. So I think I maybe am not as good as you are at the compartment. No, I'm not, I'm not good the, at it. I'm like, not saying I'm good at it. I'm just saying that, you know, but I, but I, that, so that's what I do try to, be and go through there but I also part where even when I'm doing working on the really large deals are going through there I am definitely still me and like or I will crack jokes and come through there even when I'm in a room with some really senior executives that are they're truly they are important people that are responsible for massive massive things and sometimes I'll be sitting down with someone who literally will have like five or ten thousand people that not report directly to them, but roll up to them in the organization. And then you're just, when you start to think about like the numbers that are involved there, they're staggering. And then when you go through on the time, so I think it's just the same thing where being grateful for that scenario and, and not being intimidated by any situation or going through there, because I will go right into it. And that part, I can't say the how, but I know even when a little kid, like where, my mom said, like, if I would be at McDonald's and I wanted more fries, like, I would just walk up to the counter and say, could I please have some more fries? And then they would just give them to you. Like, yeah, <laughs> here. And this. so, I mean, that, that part's fun. And I did have, so my sister and my brother are both phenomenal people. And I, as the middle child, like, I got both sides of it. So 
my brother and I are both famous in the hospitality industry, but then we have a sister who's legit famous. So she's a meteorologist in Louisville. So she like can't go to the grocery store without being recognized as far as that. Cause she's on the, like when I went to visit my mom and my sister, like you turn on the TV and she's literally on there where, I mean, I do know the real Kelly Cardenas. So, I mean, I have that part going <laughs> for me, but no, I've, I posted on LinkedIn. I got more love on LinkedIn because I put Nick Horgan's name on there. I put I put your name, and people were coming out the woodwork. Nick is the man. I love you. And I was thinking, man, I, I just I'm going to add Nick to every single post that I do. I'm going to be like, yo, Nick and I we're hanging out. I'm going to have a bu- I'm going to take a bunch of pictures throughout the neighborhood. I'm like, every time I walk my dog, I'm going to stop and just take a picture, and then I'm going to post it. And be like, Nick and I are hanging out. I like so that. so it'll be different times. Um, <laughs> That's a good plan. I'll do the same with you. And see, I am one of the cool kids. Here I am. <laughs> How important is it um, having a uh, having a healthy marriage when you're flying at the the levels that you're flying in business? Because I remember a person telling me um, I was single at the time, and I sat down with them. We went to dinner, and it was that advice that you don't ask for that was like punch you in the mouth advice. Sure. And he's like you're going to be a lot more credible if you get married. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm not, what do you mean? Like, I'm credible now. Like, you should trust me. He's like, no, you'll be trusted at a completely different level. You'll get into different uh, conversations. You'll get into different opportunities when you are married because people will trust you at a different level. And I was like. Because you've made a commitment. So on that part, and I would say it is extremely important. And this is the part where Marcy, who you know, my wife, is she is a truly phenomenal person and oh, yeah. was like truly challenged me mentally, everything else, because she's brilliant. And that's where when I came to the realization, which I did, that she's certainly smarter than I am, like <laughs> that was a little hard on the ego, but I was like, okay, this and a better writer, and then certainly a better pickleball player and everything else. Like, <laughs> I accepted it. It was like that. And I don't try and hide from it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to be better at that than she is or the writing. So lean into and have her help me. But it is, it's so important. And that's what I'll say where she, when I I closed the biggest deal in truly in my life. When was this? What year was it? This was 2017. What time of the day? Because you know the time too. You're a killer. I'll give the exact time because I know know where I was. It was the the time when you went to dinner, right? And you were working on the thing. So So you got to tell the story too. So so there's two parts of the story and I'll tell the whole whole of it. Let's go back to Marcy because I'm sure Marcy will like hearing about Marcy too. So And she, again, is phenomenal. And whenever I was on the road, we would always talk a lot because like I would tell her about the day, everything else. But she knew this deal I was working, which I won't say the company but one of the biggest companies in hospitality and it was for all of it so the stakes were incredibly high all of it how many uh how many in like, can't say properties. the exact you can't say the so we'll say between around about six and eight thousand hotels worldwide <laughs> that this was going to be a part of and the and numbers then, are and this scattered. was one deal one deal the one that deal. i had been working on for range of deal for, as far as uh we'll say it for range at when all is said and done like the initial paper was going to be fifty million on okay. multi year, but the the total valuation total valuation well over a hundred, and that doesn't go into the hundred. So like well well past that, and then it wound up with halo effect. So like we're we're talking about real money, real stakes, okay. real people in the room. Couple hundred million, we could say. 
uh, probably say a hundred comfortably, and then and Halo, then yeah. a Halo like that. So call it 150 relatively safely, okay, 100. Right, cool. So in that range, I like, love you, Nick, because <laughs> most people are like, I did this, and Nick is like, roundabout. But, just want to, and there were, and and there were, like I had help and other people, like a lot. When it comes to a deal of that size, there are a lot of people, like okay. someone. I actually won't drop the name just because in case, <laughs> but I'll, if I get permission, then I will. But so we'll just say you're a superhero like that was, was in the room man. on that. And we, we were supposed to, it's a one day meeting. We, we flew out to the city where we were going and it was supposed to get done during the day. And we get into it on this. It's an 800 page contract. And we ran into some skids on this. So it is, Eight o'clock in the morning. We were supposed to be done by four, and then we had a really nice dinner planned for seven p.m. kind of celebration dinner. At eleven p.m., we're still sitting in the meeting room and sweating, and like it has gotten very, very intense. And it's great people on both sides, but there were just still fundamental and real issues. So that was Monday morning. My flight out was Tuesday. I wound up canceling three different flights didn't finally leave this city until Thursday night at, I think, 11 p.m. From Monday to Thursday, I had slept a total of two hours during this time. I had only sent, like, cryptic texts to Marcy just saying, still, and she knew the deal I was working on and knew how much it had gone into, so she left alone. But she, during this time, falls in love with a little puppy, like that she finds, which I had resisted a puppy for year, literally for years. She had wanted a dog. I had said no, and like, it's not going to happen. Um, so the deal on Thursday, we're not done with the deal, but we're done with the meetings because we we did we had not gotten there. Like we we did everything we could. We're in, and I'm in the foxhole with an attorney and also the senior executive who was awesome and just like a good support partner was up with me all night too. So like. He hadn't slept, and he had better presence of mind than I did at 4.30 in the morning when he's like, we have to be in the room again at 7. We have to go get some sleep. And I'm like, we can't because we're not done. Like, we need to do this. And he's, I'm 100% wrong. He's 100% right. I see that. And I am trying to keep my composure, but I'm like, if this, and there was a deadline of Sunday night on this deal. Okay. Not an imaginary deadline, a very real one where the cost component of this deal, which had to go through crazy financial reviews, would, would have multi-million dollar implications if we missed the deadline. So there was a very real possibility, should we miss the, de the deadline, that the deal does not happen. Like, it is a possibility. So we're going back and forth and on that, and we're not all the way there, but I fly home and I as I'm on the plane because then I can finally like start to decompress Marcy's sending me pictures of this puppy like non-stop pictures of it because every night she was just sitting in bed like scrolling through and falls in love with a puppy that is at the time pink collar puppy like uh -huh. and so I am working the deal but like responding to and and I walk in literally open the door like not nice to see you, something else, just says, what did you decide on the puppy? Because we did make decisions together where, you know, how sometimes you count the votes, sometimes you weigh the votes. Her yeah. votes certainly weigh a little more than mine. Yeah, but on yeah. the puppy, I had 
held strong and I said, do whatever you want. I can't, I, I, I have been negotiating for <laughs> 40, 50 hours straight and I, I have had to fight like points and different, and, and I'm trying to get to the right place, but like I truly don't have anything left in me. So runs upstairs and locks the door. Like, not like in a mad way, and, but just does that. And so she's gone for maybe 10 minutes and comes out with a huge smile on her face. We're getting a puppy. <laughs> so I was like, whatever. We're not going to tell the kids because they're still young. So on this, and then I'm like, maybe that's a good, but I'm not thinking about that because I'm still thinking about this deal. And so I'm then locked in my office. That's Thursday night. I'm locked in my office from Thursday night until midday Sunday. And still, like, going back and forth. And then I tell her, I was like, we sent, the. it's called the packet. Like, the packet yeah. is the 800-page document with the electronic signatures as far as that. She's like, you're getting out of this house because she's the better person and knows, like, <laughs> you are done. Like, you need to get out of the house. I love P.F. Chang's, and so she takes me to dinner at P.F. Chang's with the kids. As we're walking out the door, literally like walking out of the house, I say to her, I was like, I'm just going to grab my laptop just because like, she's like, there's nothing you can do, which she's right. So, you know, the area, but for people not in this, where we live to PF Chang's, it's probably a five minute drive. Um, I have the laptop and I get an email from the key stakeholder on that side. The signature blocks are wrong. So the tool we were using, which is a great tool called Certify, my friend Jeff Sears now works at that company, for electronic signatures, I had made the mistake. I had put the signature hard-coded where the my CEO was supposed to sign and where theirs was. I had misplaced them. So I go into Certify, and I swap the signature. I move it in the car as we're driving to P.F. Chang's. And 30 seconds after I send it, I get the response and I look over at Marcy and I was like, it's done. She's like, what do you mean it's done? You mean you sent the, I was like, no, it's back. Like, so after wow. years and all of this, like then it, it finally came to fruition. And that was kind of a career defining deal just because the scale of it, I had, I had done, so I had done, at that time, maybe 20 or 22. So now I've done 24 deals over a million dollars each. So on those deals, I went 24 for 24. Like once a deal got to a certain point of those big deals, went all in and went, but I had never done anything on that scale. And it was not like the ones I had done were kind of close. Like it was drastically, drastically bigger and the stakes were far higher. And so just for all of that to come through, and I guess that part comes back to the having a phenomenal wife mm -hmm. that knew me well enough and what I needed, she unintentionally planned the perfect celebration dinner at the perfect moment where we were already in the, so like we then were in PF Chang's as I'm truly in shock on that one. Cause mm -hmm. after with big deals and only people that have like worked on, you'd think it's like, you're so happy when you see it. And a lot of people see that outcome. What they don't see is, how much work goes into like the huge enterprise deals. And it is, it's hard to describe like the emotions of like, once you actually get it, you would think it's just elation on that. And there is a big part of that, but it's also like what 
now. So coming through. So it's like having that person that is there for you when, because what I'll also tell you is of the really big deals I worked, 100% of them went sideways quite a few times during, and that's what you have to do is get it back on track. And I, I did some sales coaching for a group and they, they were going to sign their first million dollar a deal, year deal. And they told me, they're like, oh no, we're done. They said, we're done. And I was like, you're not done. He's like, but how can that be? Like we're, they said, we're, I was like, that's, you're in the like fourth or fifth inning of a nine inning game right now. Like just understand that part and don't get discouraged by it because it's normal as part of it. And then started texting me like this happened and legal and that. And I was like, yeah, that that's part of it. And then they changed this. I was like, that I was, and what I said to him at the time was, I don't know what's going to happen on it, but I can tell you with certainty that something will just because when they're that large and there's that much at stake, things change and come through. And so I guess the skill set is being able to do that. And then having a partner in your life that can manage those ups and downs as part of it and be there for you and support and know that like when you think about a, a good marriage and a healthy marriage, as far as that, like it's going to pivot in different times where one partner needs to be stronger or there for the other, like just depending on what's going on. And then when something really challenging happens, then both need to and kind of be there. So I guess that's the part that I'd say is playing the game and coming across and that it's, it's, having the right person <laughs> there with you, which I, I know you did on that just because I know your wife. And I think we can both comfortably say you, you outkicked your coverage. Oh, like yeah. She's pretty significantly out of your mm -hmm. Not to say you're not a <laughs> handsome guy, but as far as that. Like, <laughs> no, we won, that, we won so the lotto, brother. We won the lotto on and that me too, And I could see that. It's, it's, yeah, like I, I, I could live with that part. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> on that so like i can't beat her at pickleball or yep. this or that like i know my wife is a, a phenomenal snowboarder um i mean honestly she's great at everything she touches and yeah. everyone loves her and uh, like we're doing a, a retreat up in uh up in utah with women uh the women's hideout and i got on the call the other day with all the women they're like Where, where's brooklyn at where's where i was like i'm here I'm here, and they're like, no, no, but we can't wait to spend time with Brooklyn. How do you how do you take it? Let's go into the kid part because how do you help the children when you were talking about like people will see the the hundred million dollar deal or they'll see the company sell for five hundred million, they don't see the process part of it. They like when you were talking about relationships. This is the thing that blew my mind because when we were playing pool and you started talking about how you set up the fraternity parties, how you connected with the, uh, uh, the liquor stores, how you did those things, you connected with the other fraternities, you made sure that people had amazing, you connected with the bands. That's the exact way that you built, you know, hundred million dollar companies. Right. And so when I look at that, a lot of times people look at the $100 million companies or they look at the million-dollar deals or they look at the multi-million dollars or deca-million-dollar deals, and they're like, okay, but yeah, yeah, Nick, I understand you said heart, relationship, all that stuff, whatever. Can you just tell me how to do a $100 million deal? How do you translate this to your kids? Because it's hard. The, the grit comes from most of the time experience and failing. Yeah. But our kids in this environment a lot of times aren't taking the l's that we took how do we translate it and it 
Marcy and I talk about that and we have not all the way solved it. And actually I was reading something. I, I don't want to misquote the person, but I'll say who I think it was. So Candace Nelson, who's the founder of Sprinkles Cupcakes and Pizzana, she obviously is in a financial position now where she can do whatever. And someone asked her on LinkedIn, what do you do for your children? Because obviously they can give every opportunity of that. And so it is giving them chances to fail. And honestly, that's what I realize I need to be better at is not being the bulldozer that goes in and knocks down any obstacles as far as that, because <clears throat> it was certainly not done for me as a child. And I know it wasn't done for you. So being better at giving them a chance to fail and learn from and then come back as far as that. And then another thing I, I read in Freakonomics and looked at is if you praise the outcome or how smart someone is, they don't do better on that. But if you praise the effort mm. and what went into it, then they'll work harder to create the right outcomes. So I think that's the part that where I know I'm very, very far from perfect and keeping things together is helping to create the right situations for my kids and friends to go through there so that they can be successful later and then focusing on the journey more than the outcome. I guess that's the biggest yeah. lesson in it. And that's the part where I think knowing when you're in the heart of it, like that that is a big part of the fun. It really is. And cause the, the end game, like it's going to leave you potentially unfulfilled and unsatisfied because like the highs are never as high as you think they're going to be and the lows can feel super super painful and and on that just knowing that like it will come back so like the things that you need to do to take stock and when you do get knocked down like having the fortitude to then push through and get up and I, I think that's where really picking the right partner in life nothing that's the most important decision you will make and then if you are going to start a business or join a startup type business, I would focus less on what that product is and more on who the people are. Because it, when you look at the stories of the ones that have done really, really well, it's not necessarily that they just happen to find that magic product and it became something. It's that group of people went out and did something exceptional. And sometimes you find it something different. So I look at you as a perfect example of you literally have created a business based on just who you are. Like people who see you on, pod, on your podcast and hear you that think, oh, he's super positive because he's talking about that. Well, those of us that know you know that truly is you. That is who you are <laughs> at the neighborhood, on the schoolyard, as we're cheering at the football games and, and looking back to like, the, one of my favorite parts when Spencer was part of the team was you taking the time with all of them to then praise someone else that's on that team. Who can you build up? Like, what can you say positive about this? And that's not going to be easy for everyone because, like, looking through, hearing the praise and that, but it is, it's positive, and it brings something better into the world and the environment. And to me at the end of the day, that's what's truly important. And that is with the company, what we're building. It's part of that. And that part 
has wound up having major ancillary benefits, but it, we weren't doing it for that reason. We were doing it because it's sincere and that's the only way it works is this is what's important and this is why and how can we truly help people be better at what they're doing and come across. So if we do that, then we've been successful regardless of what the PL says. Now, if the PL can also look really good <laughs> and really clean, then that's going to be good for everyone. And there's no question about that. And so that, because that stuff is extremely important. Of course. It is. And doing things in the right way, it's so important. And that's the part where I look at this, where the, the people I'm with, it's not like we just looked at this in December and said, we should start a company together and do this. It is literally decades in the making of relationships in the industry and understanding what are the fundamental challenges that are facing our industry that we can help and where we saw this is one where we do know what the challenges are inside and out. And then we also know the people that are facing those challenges and we have the credibility when we say, this is what it is, this is how we're doing it. And then now we have the added benefit of, and these are the others that have looked at it and gone through and decided that, yes, this makes sense. So it is one of those things where it's really, really hard at the beginning. Um, and that was the same time the first time around when we were hammering calls we were trying to sell a computer system to hotels that did not have computers. So they, they like when we would call and say, we have this product and it does this. And they're like, we don't have computers. We had to sell them on, well, yeah, you're going to have to buy, which I think at the time they were like three grand a pop for the computer <coughs> and something like 20 or $30,000, which was, it's a lot of money today. It was a heck of a lot more money in the nineties and that was part of, like, to put this in, you had to fundamentally change the way you're doing business. Where now, we're not trying to do a huge shift like that. So I think that's another part that's important, where now you can build and scale a company without having to start everything from scratch and build and go through. Have you ever seen a company do the right things for the right reasons and it not work out? That's a great question. And I have... And I think the... Was it just the timing? Timing is a huge role, has a huge role in it. And I think what we saw in... So there have been several points, at least in the hospitality <coughs> industry. Um, COVID, but COVID was kind of backstop where I think some companies would have failed if those backstops were not there. But um, after 9-11, which obviously a very challenging time for, for everyone, hospitality was hit very, very significantly in that. So, and I was in that environment when it was happening. I was actually at Kimpton's headquarters on 9-11, went to sign a contract that did not get signed yeah. on the day just because everything that was happening. Of course. Um, 2008 was very, very challenging, I think, across the board, but travel and hospitality hit really hard. There were some very good companies that maybe were kind of, on the precipice of doing something big that wouldn't didn't wind up having the runway to be able to do it okay um and i think right now the macroeconomic environment so travel and hospitality is actually in a very strong place but i think there there are some concerns about the overall 
macroeconomic environment. And we are very cognizant of that on our side where we're building this in such a way that we don't need really significant resources if, if things should become more challenging. Because I think we, we see that if that happens, typically you're looking at anywhere from a year to 18 months where things could be really challenging and then turn around. So I guess that would be the advice if you're building now, mm -hmm. um, build in such a way that you can handle a, a pretty tough sledding period of maybe a year to 18 months. Because I think it's realistic that we could be facing something like that. But if you're doing something and you're doing it right, I did see companies that were successful even in those tougher times. And I think what you also see is anything that was created during those points that does, like the things that make it through, they make it through even stronger. So I think that part's important. Too. What are the things that, that you can see in the hospitality industry that, that the normal person, that's, I mean, you're an expert in it. Uh, you've been in it. You understand it inside and out. Um, what are some of the things that are coming that we don't see coming as a, I'm not in the hospitality business. Sure. Um, you know, but there are things that, you know, in, in my industry that I look at and I'm like, well, I could see that and I see it super, super clear and it's coming. Although, um, person that wasn't in the industry, they'd just be like, ah, I mean, I'm not really aware of that. What would that be in the hospitality industry? So that's a really good question. And I'd say, um, the consolidation that's happened with a lot of the big brands that has an impact on just what you see. So the more consolidation that happens, like it changes as far as the options. So it's not necessarily bad or good, but it's just something that I think that you will see. Uh -huh. um, and what I think has, has certainly happened is, um, and this is something you, you do see. And when you go to travel, the rates have gone up and gone up pretty significantly. Yeah. Um, and that's both on airfare and hotels, which that it's both good and bad for the industry as far as it coming along. Um, and then I think that what you're also seeing is the Verbo, which I always said VRBO, but I think it is Verbo. So Verbo, Airbnb, like they've done exceptionally well as the non-hospitality hospitality option as far as going. And I think those companies will continue to be really successful. But I think that hotels have done a really good job of differentiating mm -hmm. and giving you a reason to be there, which I still do like. There are times when traveling with the family, you want to rent a house, but there are times you want to be at an actual resort and have the service levels that are there. And I think that's one of the things that the, the hotel companies that do that well service, they're going to continue to do well and be successful. Where if you think about how... AI is going to have such a massive impact on so many industries. Hospitality is one where it can make service better without question. But the true hospitality is person to guest coming through there. And that's where I think AI may be an enabler to help hotels provide better customer service. But it's still going to come down to that person that's actually interacting and with the guests and that, because mm -hmm. that's the part with everything you read on AI and everything that's happening, talking about these are all the jobs that are going to be replaced. The part that at least I personally don't see how you could replace is this right here. So could chat GPT write two sides of a conversation on a podcast? Sure. But it, would it be entertaining to read like the words we say? I, I personally don't <coughs> think so, not yeah. to the level, because it's not going to have 
your personality and what you bring to the table. And that's the part where mm -hmm. if you look at the really successful conferences and meetings that happen and how much goes from that, we lost a lot of that during the pandemic because people couldn't be face to face. And then so much happened on Zoom, which I do think are really valuable tools. They are. And you yeah. can see the face and come back and forth. There is still no substitute for mm -mm. bringing people together and then having them in an environment together, like together to do things. So that's where I do think the conference business, convention business did not come all the way back yet, but it is, you're seeing that now, yeah. where leisure travel is already above the peaks of 2019. So if you look at especially in the resort environments, really? it is all the way back. Now, downtown hotels that have a lot of corporate business, they're not necessarily all the way back, and it's kind of market by market. But if you look at both mm -hmm. rate and occupancy, um, Las Vegas is a perfect example of a city that has never done better than it is doing right now at this point in time. And that city has done a phenomenal job of creating environments for people. So you have the Raiders there now. Yep. You have uh, the women's soccer team. The A's are coming. The, A, the A's are coming. Yep. And it looks like it's possible that Bally's will partner with the A's to build a ballpark and a casino resort on the same parcel of property. So you have a 35-acre property on some of the most prime real estate, not just in Vegas, but in the world, where you have so many rooms. I think it's 35,000 rooms that are on basically four corners right there. Yeah. And then Bally's, which is looking like they'll partner with the A's to do nine or 10 of the acres on that space and the rest on a resort that they'll then theme in some way. Like that's pretty amazing. And then you've got F1 coming to Las Vegas yep. where you're going to have F1 cars literally racing down the strip. So that's going to be phenomenal for the city. And then you have um, MSG Sphere, which is a giant globe, I guess you would call it, that's right there. So another attraction. So they've found so many ways to reinvent, which is already a really cool place, which I know you had a salon there, so yeah. you know the market really, really well. Mm -hmm. um, we saw Taylor Swift with my son and daughters yes. and wife, which she did at absolutely amazing show but the biggest thing i saw is being in the city just how much was going on and how well the city was able to handle it where you had a um ncaa basketball game yep. the same night as taylor swift and you would expect everything to be completely locked down but it wasn't like you could still get from one place to the other and that city can handle massive events and the big players in that space they do it really really well so like when you look at people like michael masari from caesars he's the chief sales officer there he's a brilliant person and stephanie glanzer who's the chief sales officer for mgm she is as well and they've both done really a huge thing for the overall travel industry with the u.s travel association they visit washington dc and they're advocating not just for Las Vegas, but for all of hospitality. So that's some of the stuff you maybe wouldn't see is what happens behind the scenes to make a city really, really successful. And the hockey team that was brought there, like they did all these things to make it a great place to visit. Oh, yeah. And they're, it's not like they said, okay, we got the football team, we're done. Like now they have the Super Bowl and then they'll have the A's and the Golden Knights, like all those 
really amazing things are kind of what personify hospitality and a reason to go to a city. And there's a lot of other phenomenal cities as well that are doing a great job of why to come here. So you've got even Carlsbad. Carlsbad does a good job of promoting the city of Carlsbad. And then you look at the San Diego Tourism Authority and and why is San Diego yeah. such a phenomenal place to be, which we finally, it looks like, have the right weather here. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do come visit San Diego and stay in the hotels, eat in the restaurants, because it, it helps all of us. And I don't think most people realize how large of a piece of the economy hospitality is, but it, it's something like one in every 20 jobs is impacted by hospitality, hospitality and tourism. Yeah. So it is a monster part of the economy. And it's also one that it drives a lot of fun. Like when you go out and you travel, yeah. I think of like Conrad Hilton and his saying, what he would say is he wanted to light the world with the warmth of hospitality. And if you take some time and really think about that sentence, that's a very positive thing, right? Light the world yeah. with the warmth of hospitality. And so that is a company that that still personifies that. Like when you go on there where it's not to say you're always going to have like the perfect stay anywhere you go, but they really do care. And they'll take the feedback and they use the tools to read like, Kelly, did you have a good stay? What could be improved? And then they take that feedback and, and improve. So I, I love seeing things like that where people want to get better and the industry becomes better and they take things like so. Well, I think it's incredible too, because when you're talking about the hospitality, a lot of us just think about the, the hotel or the resort or whatever it is, but you're looking, and this is, this is why I love you. Uh, one of the million reasons, but you're looking at all the things that go into making that hospitality actually function. Because if it wasn't for when you were talking about Vegas, if it wasn't for, um, you know, catering around the, the Golden Knights when they came, sure. um, then a lot of opportunity would be missed in that. But it's not just something that translates directly to a person staying at a resort. It's creating an experience around the whole thing and looking at the long game of the hospitality itself. And it, it's, it's incredible because, and I can't wait for you to listen back to it, because it, it's exactly in line and congruent with every message that you've talked about today, every single one of them, it's never been like, okay, I'm going to target this thing and only focus on this thing. It's like, no, no, I'm going to focus on doing the right things. And as I build the right things, maybe it'll take a little bit longer, but that's going to have a, a so much more of a stable uh, uh, foundation as you, as you move forward. What are some of the things that about hospitality that you wish you could unlearn? Ooh, that's a fantastic question. So I, I think I would choose not to unlearn anything is the real answer on it because the experiences that I've had and what I've done brought me to where I am. And so I wouldn't want to take out any component of that because yeah. I am humble enough to understand that I don't know even close to all of it yet. So any part of it, like if I try and take out one piece of it, then 
you don't know what other pieces may fall as part of it. So, and I also don't know, like, some little, as, as my good friend Kelly Cardenas would say, what nugget, what little nugget <laughs> of information is out there that I can take? And that's what I took from your book and the way you wrote it as far as that. Like, what are the six indicators for the successful business and life? Like, looking, I just want to make sure I didn't jack up oh, your title as far uh. as part of that. But looking at how you look at what are those pieces that you can bring together to make the whole much larger than the sum of its parts Absolutely. and look at that. Like that's the part that I really love about it is what can we do to be better? Like every day, cause you did mention I'm competitive and I am without question, Yeah. but the biggest thing I'm competitive with <clears throat> is how can I be better today than I was yesterday? Like how can I then reinvent myself and go through there? Like for instance, I, I got your shout out on that, but I need to focus on my personal brand. When you ask me my Instagram ha handle, I didn't have one. So as but far I, as that, I, but I would argue it because for me, your personal brand, like when I said anything about personal brand, and I want you to know I wasn't calling you out no, on no, it. It was more of a shout out. But as I started thinking about it, I was like, what is Nick's personal brand? And I was like, honestly, like I believe that to really truly, this sounds crazy, but to really truly authentically work on a personal brand, you will never focus on it. Yeah, that's a good. And because I had a kid in the car yesterday, we went to Glen Ivy and we were on the way back and, and he's, a, he's a young guy and he's a, uh, you know, he's has a sales background, but he's a young dude, he's green and you know he's green. I thought and, you were talking about a kid, kid, just so you know. And okay. I was trying to picture Maddox's no. friend, like which one it was. That, that That's what I, I call a person, <laughs> you know, yeah. but so this kid he's talking to me and he's just like you know how do you build like give me the components to building a personal brand i could tell you that you know to if you're gonna have a shirt wear the shirt every day because no one will believe in it before you believe in it yeah i could tell you that you have to have an exit strategy not a exit strategy an x yeah. it strategy meaning that you put an x on the treasure and when the X is on the treasure, you're always moving towards the treasure. I could tell you those principles, but if you focused on those principles and then you did it, you would be the same dude who I've talked about before on the podcast that has the, all the Ed Hardy gear, that has all the cool jangly chains and thinks that he's going to be able to talk to the good-looking woman, and you're not going to be able to. I want to compliment you because your personal brand is hospitality. Like you're not hospitality as far as an industry, hospitality as far as like you embody what you do. Therefore, you don't have to give the features and benefits of anything that you're doing. If Nick Horgan's doing it, I want a part of it. And every single person that does business with you is that way, right? I appreciate that. And, and that part is tr where I, I did... <laughs> One of the people, I won't say the name yet, just because we're uh, on yeah. as far as this, but so we landed, uh, I'm partnering with um, the BiTech conference on the steering committee, and we landed a very big player in the space, mm -hmm. and the events at the Ritz-Carlton Sarasota, which is a phenomenal property in a phenomenal place. This particular person doesn't necessarily love Sarasota, though, so said, he's like, there aren't many things that are going to get me to Sarasota in February, but luckily Nick Horgan's one of them. So I'm there. I'm committed. I'm in. So, and I did, I'm truly appreciative of him for this because this is someone who is responsible for a 500 million a year business. So like staggering compared to any numbers I've ever touched, like that is 
his responsibility is a business unit that does 500 million a year and he's going to be there and he's going to be on my panel at this conference along with some women who are exceptional leaders in hospitality and I I am not going to share any of these names until <laughs> probably two weeks before the conference because yeah. that's part of the fun of course but I'm I'm so excited that I'm truly giddy about it because we're gonna we're creating what's going to be one of the best events in hospitality with this group um, and this is a conference that did not exist a year ago. So BITAC does phenomenal events, all sorts of different ones. Um, they do it in hospitality and they do it for um, healthcare as well. Yeah. And I was talking to a, a few other key opinion leaders in the space and we said, you know what? Their events are awesome and they are. So they're focused on luxury, another one on operations, another one on independent hotels. But what I wanted is sales, marketing and revenue management those people all in a room at once because oh that's the target market so i shared with the ceo of bytac that you know what i love your events and i do they're great but wouldn't it be amazing if we created a sales marketing and revenue management summit and they did the research they went through they did all their work on their side and they came back and they created that exact event so i I am super excited because this is where we're going to do our next Amazing Sites yeah. Awards. And it's one where a few other people in the industry and I did have, we're helping to make this a reality. Uh -huh. And we're also helping to make sure that the right players in the space are there. And that's the goal is to create an event that anyone that's not there is going to really wish they had been there and we're going to create some really fun <laughs> learning and and items and it's going to be a, a really phenomenal event so i i can't wait and that's the other part that people don't realize is i'm doing a lot of planning today for a conference that's happening in february of 2024 so it is it's a lot of work on that side and that's what people in the hospitality industry because you go to a big convention or, and they think this is great why didn't they do this why didn't they do that they don't realize how much went into getting all those people in the room and the speakers oh, and yeah. the venue has to be right and the, like all the different parts and one of my favorite parts about it is they have they have games as part of this and as mentioned i am highly competitive so they do cornhole <laughs> jenga and um another game where you toss a ping pong ball into a bucket and then some other different variations darts so we'll talk about three of the conferences i went to the first two in a row i did not lose a single game so not cornhole not darts not anything and i got very very cocky so like i lost that humbleness as far as that <laughs> So then I talked the most trash you can imagine at the third conference where I was. And I was like, oh, we are going to straight dominate, like all this, my team. Like, and I was trying to build everyone up and probably got on the obnoxious side on what we were going to do. Went from going, there's four games, had gone eight no on that. Dropped an O. <laughs> o for four, including not only did so fail the team, but I personally underperformed on every single item i'm pretty sure i'm the one that knocked over the jenga and on my cornhole tosses i didn't even hit the board which i 
love playing cornhole as far as going through there and just straight missed. But the event was still awesome in the networking. But so now I'll be training with you out in Water's End getting ready for <laughs> 2024 just because I want to get ready for it. Well, talk to me about this, too, because it's it's a subject that came up. And I, I got a lot of pushback the other day. I, I posted something on YouTube. And I said, um, uh, AI will only replace people when the vibe is off. And But I just put that clip because I knew it was going to be, for me, I knew it was going to, challenge challenge some people whatever it is and i got a bunch of pushback on it and i just recently went into a a a business that i I won't name the business but this business was at the high like the vibe part of it for me was like oh my gosh i it blew my mind it inspired me at the highest level i just went in the other day and i swear to you it wasn't the amount of people that were in there it wasn't the level of product that they were selling. Everything was exactly the same. But I could tell you this. I looked at my wife and I was like, you feel it? And she was like, yep. And then I looked at my son. I was like, you feel it? And he was like, yep. Like, the vibe was completely different. We didn't actually want to go there anymore. And, and I think you're nailing And on that, I think hospitality more than almost anywhere else they need to be highly cognizant of that. Because how, how do you construct it though? Like for, from your standpoint in a hospitality part, like for me, when I was looking at it, just because it's something that I've focused on throughout my whole entire life. Sure. Um, even from putting a, a chair in a certain area, putting lights in a certain area, playing music or having a certain scent or having different things like that. But for me, this is just my perspective. For me, um, the chicken nugget makers, right? You remember the chicken nugget oh, makers? Yeah. World champions. Um, basketball team that was a fourth grade team that I coached. On all of those. I'm pretty sure they beat another really good fourth grade team that, in the championship. That I, and here's what I'll, so quick story on that. My son did play for the team that lost in the championship to the, champ, to the chicken, chicken nugget, nugget makers. Yeah. And one of my proudest dad moments ever was actually between my son and your son. At the end of that game, they both played really hard. The the chicken nugget makers won the game pretty handily. Like, it wasn't like it came down to the end, which I think that part helped on that. But my son in the loss, I could tell looking at his face, like he was sad about the loss. The very first thing he did is walk over and congratulate Maddox, shook his hand. I didn't tell him to do it either. Like, I didn't say, go and do this. He congratulated him and complimented him on the trophy. And then Maddox came right back with, you played really great. That was a good game. And it was such a pure and good moment to see that it, it brought me a ton of joy. And, that, and that's in a loss, which as you know, as you mentioned before, I don't love <laughs> losses, whether it's kids sports or yeah. Xbox or anything else. But like that, really did make me extremely happy as far as like seeing that and that so anyone that didn't happen to be at the championship game that knows the vibe Kelly's talking about where his team came into the game with Kelly with a giant boom box and all the kids dancing and singing and there was something to it and when I was coaching football I may have stolen a little something from the great Kelly Cardenas <laughs> when after coaching we'll tell the quick story about yeah. the very first game I ever coached of flag football was a 40 to nothing loss that was a sh- 
shellacking in every set of the word when the kids were all in kindergarten. It was my first time coaching. And I had told my wife that I was going to construct the playbook. And she's like, they're in kindergarten. There's no playbook. You just go out there. So I was like, oh, okay. I'll, I, I guess that's right. So I get out on the field. I'm going against a really good coach here in the community, Ole Olson, who great guy and that. But he had these – his kids were either in kinder or first. They had already played a few seasons, and their kids were going in motion and then going deep as far as that. So on the very first play, <laughs> when they threw like a 10-yard pass, which – for kindergartens is basically the equivalent of a 70 yard pass. And I'm just literally on the field in shock. But what I'll never forget is I tried keeping the kids happy. And as far as that, but I am truly like dying inside going through there, like picking up kids, trying to move them from one spot to the other. But at the end of the game, when I am feeling utterly and thoroughly defeated and truly a failure, like I have, cause I did, I failed pretty significantly <laughs> 40 to nothing. And there was an older man that walked out to the field and said, I just want you to know you did an excellent job. And I looked at him like, I, I honestly thought he was being a jerk because what I did was a very poor job of coaching. And he said, take a step back and look at the kids. And I did. And all these kindergartners on my team, they were ecstatic. And then one of them who is a great kid, which hopefully a kid in the neighborhood yeah. like in the area named Rico, who's just a ball of positivity. That's who he is. He comes up to me and he's like, coach, did we win? <laughs> and I was like, nobody, we didn't win. But then I realized I was like, because stayed positive and went through there, they, I didn't feel it, they did. But in this gentleman had said, look at the looks on these kids' faces. Like they're all smiling, like, you couldn't have done a better job than that. And that really spoke to me. But so then the other part, when we had a really rough season, got knocked into the bronze on that, where I had now done, I think, nine seasons without ever winning a championship. And this was already announced was going to be the final one I did just because it's a surprising amount of time going through. Yeah. And I stole from Kelly Cardenas with the kids singing before the game. And one of the parts I'll never forget is from – their semifinal game over to the fi the championship game. These were little fifth graders about to play a sixth grade team, and they were singing meme songs and coming back and forth, and their friends had gathered with them for the walk from one to the other, and I just kind of soaked it in and looked at it, and I was like, no matter what happens in this next game, this is a win, right? Like, this is a win, like, coming through. And then they did wound up, wind up getting the win so that was fun because they got the big trophy and everything else but then you realize it is the journey not the end point and it's the same thing with the company like coming back to like how do you create that vibe that environment so in that scenario it is this and I see it with the girls in their lacrosse team it's like when they're out there having fun and challenging and going through it's so fun to watch and see it and be a part of but you also see when the vibe is off in any game. So not necessarily a team like that, but where the two of us were on the sideline of a game and we saw like things being said and different. And you can see that same thing that happens in youth sports happen in professional sports and it happens in business where those teams that truly do come together and become greater than the sum of the parts, if you can create that, in a work environment then you have truly done something so like and that is what you're doing with this with the podcast that you did 276 episodes 
before this, and then I'm sure you'll have, I can't even count how many episodes <laughs> after that. And it's, you've created a business of just being you. So when you look at what your personal brand is and what that part, then you've done exactly that. So I did go out and, and hire the best social media manager in, in the world. So I did land Marcy to handle like setting up my Insta <laughs> for this. So anyone that does want to follow me, I'll have exactly one post on there right now. So you're going to want to get in there and see that content before we go through. So you can get in early, get on the ground floor. Invest so in Microsoft in the 80s. At Nick Horgan official. That's my Insta handle. And it's going to be great because I'm going to grab some content from there this podcast right here. Last name is H-O-R-G-A-N. In case you couldn't spell it, so we have that part there, <laughs> or maybe Kelly will be kind enough to put the link. So, oh, I'm gonna put and the especially link. when and you could be there and see the entirety of this the social media the social media presence, like Gold Rush, is one bio headshot of me. <laughs> but we'll get some reels on there and everything else, and you can say that I was there at the beginning. At so the it's beginning, the part where like this is the part when I can't get Kelly on the phone after he's gone all the way big and he's getting paid 500 million a year as far as down the po- I'm going to say I was on the podcast once here's the link to it I kept it in fact you'll see it it's on my insta and they'll be like wait as far as this that that was the that was the second post you really do know Kelly Cardenas that's true Oh, Nick, uh, I started the podcast, you know, you know why I started it. And you know Maddox and McKenna, you see them in the neighborhood. And you probably see Maddox more than you see McKenna because uh, she's 14. And, and you know, I'm, I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to be cool. She really is amazing with me, though. But little man, you know his personality. I went to put on some shorts this morning, and I, I was in a, a, a dad hurry. If you're sure. a dad, you know what I'm talking about. I have been in said dad hurry. And I was in a dad hurry, and I went to put them on, and they were backwards. And and I pulled them up, and I, I laughed with my son. I was like, Maddox, I, you, you know, I said, what are you doing, boy? And he said, what are you talking about, Dad? I said, you made me put my shorts on backwards. He's like, well, why are you changing them? And I said, well. <laughs> I can hear him saying that. And I said, what, boy? And, he, and he's like, why are you changing them? You should just wear them that way then. Because one time I, I he tried on some sweats and he walked out and the, the hole in the knee was on the back of his leg. Yeah. And I was like, Maddox, why you got uh, you know, a hole in the back of your leg? He's like, and then I realized they were on backwards. And I said, go put your sh- pants on backwards. He comes back and the hole's still in the back of the knee. And I said, son, I told you to change your pants around. Why didn't you do that? And he's like, because I liked it. And I said, well, what are you going to say if somebody asks you? if you have your pants on backwards and he's like, well, that's simple. I'll just ask them why they have their pants on forward. I respect, I love that. You know what I'm saying? And so that type of personality is something that I love and I foster and I want him to, I want him to incur being different and maybe getting a little pushback from kids. Um, but I started the podcast because of him and because of McKenna, who is unbelievable. Her, her personality is phenomenal. I mean, just who she is but I wanted to take iconic people like yourself that have taken companies from 5 million to 500 million that have mentors that have sold their companies for 50 million, a hundred million, 
or, or 50 million, 500 million, and a billion. You corrected me because that competitive nature, I know. You could, you know, <laughs> well, because you went over. I know, I went over. For 100 billion. I know, I said 100 like, billion earlier. You should have went with it, Nick. I mean, <laughs> there aren't a lot of companies that <laughs> sold. So, as far as it's looking through, it's like, yeah, it's hey, the who one. Do you know at Uber? It's the only one that's ever sold at 100 billion. We're, we're, let's just call it a trillion. Tri- well, so then we're talking about it's either Microsoft or Apple <laughs> on that. It's like, yeah. So I, I started the podcast because of Madison McKenna, and I, I wanted to take iconic people like yourself and show them that anything in the world is possible. Um, so what advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both their names, it would be awesome. I, I would love to. So Maddox and McKenna, first off, you're so lucky because your parents, Brooklyn and Kelly, are just truly phenomenal people. So on that part, just live a life of gratefulness because what you already have is what you need and that's the right support to be behind you and take you through everything you're going to do and then McKenna I visited your namesake not long ago so we were in Hawaii and Marcy and I did talk about that and I was like oh I wonder if that's she's like McKenna's a common name it's not because of that so let's just quickly clarify that all right 100 thank you for that and then the other (laughs) one I'll say Maddox take it down tonight because I know you've got two big games hopefully and uh my son Spencer's on that that team, so yes. the advice is put that all out there and stay true to who you are because that's the part, is, and really that's advice for both of them, is once you really know who you are as a person, which I think they'll have a huge head start against most people because it's been fostered, then you can really become who you need to be to be able to accomplish really whatever's in front of you. So once you have gotten to know yourself if you can then take that to do truly amazing things then there's a lot to be said for that and that's where I've been so fortunate where I have had so many just phenomenal mentors and people that I've had a part of so like my parents and what it was instilled with me and my brother my sister and now my wife like just all these truly amazing people that have allowed me to then take the next steps to get there and get to be the 277th person to be on the best <laughs> podcast out there like that is some pretty exciting stuff right there. So I am so grateful to you, Kelly, for that and really everything you do and bring to our community and, and now through the world, through your books and this podcast. So thank you so much for thank that. Thank you. What about the, the uh, number one social media manager and most expensive one in the planet, Miss um, Marcy Horgan? What do you think that she doesn't hear enough from Nick? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, what I hope she hears is just how much I love her, because I do, and that, and really everything she does, not just for our own family, but in general, just like that positive part, just because that is so important. So that's a really good question. So I, I need to be better at that and, and just make sure that she knows how appreciated appreciated she is really for what she brings to the table and does and that so on that I I guess I'd I'd say that and what would be your own Kelly that I think in the in these last couple of months Brooklyn has been she's been going um she's been traveling she comes home she's a phenomenal mom um she is an incredible friend to me an incredible wife so she makes sure that I feel like I'm the man which a lot of times I'm not, and most of the time I'm not, but she's like, she peels back to allow me to be the man because she knows that that builds confidence in me. Yeah. 
And I see her do that on purpose. Um, and even though she's going with all these things that are happening, she literally, I, I have no idea how she's able to do it. She stops and she's like, you know, when the kids go to bed, she just pours into me when she, when the kids are there, she's doing that. And a lot of, I'm dropping the ball a lot of times. And she, I think not only that, but she's not voicing all the things that she doesn't like about me. She's only voicing the things that she loves about me. That's great. And what it makes me want to do is number one, ladies, that's the best way to make your man feel horrible about all the horrible things that he's done. Like if he hasn't done the laundry and you, and, but he did the dishes and you're like, thank you so much for doing the dishes. You don't say anything about the laundry. We will feel bad about not doing the laundry worse than if you hound us about the laundry, because then we'll be like, you didn't see what I did at work. You know? And so we'll go into defense mode. But when you compliment us just on the awesome things, that's, then it's like heaping hot burning coals on top of our head. <laughs> that's great. Which I also say is just so if your wife asks you to do something, like you're going to do it. She doesn't have to remind you every six months, right? There we go. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. This is, We should actually just have a full podcast on how to be great husbands and run our families. There you know you what I mean? Go. That's because we seem to have all the answers, Nick. Every single Let's answer. Let's ask our wives yeah. and see if that truly is the case. I think we may get, but when we widen the poll, it's possible that the results won't be skewed quite as well. But you are right. Like if we, if we pull, we could just we could you then and put I. that on the podcast and just say, just we, you we and pulled I. this. Yeah, we pulled this. We landed that Kelly and Nick are both great. Yes. Like, yes. There My, we go. What Check they say, the was it 70, 76% of, uh, of statistics are, are made, are made up? up. Um, I think it's it's actually seventy four percent are made up as far as that one. Well, well no, according exactly, to a poll a that I just made up right now, it's eighty five percent of them are, are. So when we come through there, so that's their final part. As we look through, it's like so I'm extremely fast at math. It's like well, so give me a problem. It's like all right, what's sixteen thousand times five hundred fifty four thousand? Uh, I don't know sixty four. Wait, but that's not even right. I know. I said I was fast. I never said I was good. <laughs> like, let's look at that. And that is why we come to, like, as far as the real data, as far as that and telling the story. Yeah. So without doing the commercial for it. But that is the part is, like, make it easy for people. And this is applies. I'm not talking about my own company. No, yeah. But for whatever it is you're doing, if you can make it simple for others to be successful, you're going to wind up finding success yourself. It's That's amazing it. that you say that because, as, you know, it, Listening to this and having this conversation is so enlightening because it's an, it's it's a microcosm of who you are because you told me this concept of like, you know, doing the right things, focusing on the people, building relationships, all this stuff. And then you tell me all the stories and every one of them is laced with that part of it. And I kept trying to listen to hear like, okay, well, but there was the secret silver bullet that Nick has and I'm trying to grab the silver bullet. That's where my mind was. And, but every time it was like, you told me the story and then I was like, ah, damn, like he said it again, you know, he didn't say it, but it, those exact words, but it embodied it in it. And to realize that that part, you make things simple, Nick, like you make things simple and consumable. Although you work in a very complex industry, you work with very complex, high numbers, all the stuff. It's so encouraging to hear that at the end of the day, if you can connect with the people and you can make sure that they feel amazing and you can deliver a product that is going to make them feel amazing, everything works out. 
which I have found that to be exactly the case. And, and this does go back to my dad and it was something that I do remember and was instilled really early is making other people feel good. Like there is something to it. So he had something he was doing at work where he actually had written down, which I certainly never did this, but he would give a compliment every single day and he had a list. And I still remember he like, he told us he did this and we all thought it was like a little bit crazy. Um, but then I was like, you know what? That is positive because he's putting positivity out there. He also took notes in the closet, like my parents' bedroom. Like he wrote stuff on the wall. So like we saw like like Nick getting married, like this and like just different things. Like so things he was taking, and that may have been like as he was starting to forget, he put more things in there so he'd remember. But he was doing this even when we, we were little. Like he wow. put like, and some of it would be just like what the weather was like today. So he would write little things. But one of the, so like that complimenting people, like that was something he did. But I still remember my sister had one of the like best gotchas ever because we're at the dinner table and we had talked, we all knew my dad did this with like the compliments as far as that and like had like the day of the week where he'd kind of roll through to make sure he's being positive to everyone. And he said something really nice to me about me, like at that. Like, and I, I, I truly can't remember what it was, like something, but it really was a really nice statement. And without missing a beat, my sister looked over and she's like, Yeah, well, maybe it's just your day. Like, <laughs> which if people didn't know the first part, it's kind of a, a funny statement of maybe it's your day, like you're having a great day. But no, she was saying, like, your name just showed up on the checklist. It's yeah. like, oh, hey, Kelly, your yeah. hair looks great today. Like, but it, but it's amazing in that because even if you knew it was just your day and a person said something positive about you, it, it still, still impacts works. you. It still works. As long as, here's the key on that, as long as it is sincere. Yes. So that is the part. And with me, it is. Like when I come and I say those things about you, they're all true. I do not do this to someone I don't respect or have like the thoughts for the insincere. Mm -hmm. I don't do it in any way, shape or form. I also do not believe in like to add show respect to every person. I don't, I don't respect everyone. So, and if I don't respect you, I don't pretend that I do. Like I can't help that. Like as far as who I am, <laughs> like I, and I can, I will be polite to everyone and I will be respectful toward everyone. But if someone doesn't act in a way that they deserve respect, then I don't believe in respecting that person. So that part where that it is sincere and that like the way I think of you and what you've done and who you are as a person, which Marcy and I talked about this with you specifically as the example of embodying like that. So it's like, cause a lot of times you'll see it like the football fields or the lacrosse fields. It's like, be this act, the champion, go through there. Like you really are saying like, say the positive things about each perfect, like build him up build her up, like do those things. Like, and it is, it is the right way to be and go through there. So you embody it. So I just, I love that. But if you didn't do that, like I wouldn't be sitting here <laughs> on the podcast and I would have waited more than just the three years as far as getting on. It would have taken us like 10 years. Nick, will you please, will you please? Well, when I was talking about the chicken nugget, it's, it's wild because it's just one little thing that, we did with the chicken nugget makers. We did with the uh, with our football team, the football teams that I've got a chance to do. Actually, it's funny because uh, Maddox plays two, yeah, and we do it on one and don't do it on the other. And you see the difference, yeah. And it's just and what this component is, and I really, but 
we also did it to build a multi-million dollar company. And all it was, was we call it speaking life. So it's specific, use the kid's name or the person's name in your company, specific. But, and you, you use their name, you look them in the eyes and you tell them something specific that they did that impacted you in a positive way. Yeah. This changes the vibe because, and it does it in a positive and a negative way, which on the positive way, when you go around the circle and you do it, when, the, when you say the person's name, Nick, you did X, that Nick lights up. Yeah. But then when Susie's sitting next to Nick and 10 people went and they didn't say anything about Susie, Susie's like, I'm going to do something up. good yeah. next week to be able to make that happen. It's amazing how simple those things are. And I, I keep hearing my pops because my pops would be like, boy, there's only one business in the world and one business only. And that's the people business. You take the people out of the business, then you have no business at all. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, whatever, pop. But now I sit with you at the top of your industry, flying at some of the highest levels in business. You said the exact same thing. Yeah. And my dad, very similarly, and my mom, like what they instilled is that, like that part. So it's, and I look back, so that final funny story and then I don't know as as far as on time where I do think and look back on my dad where and I think I've told you this story before but the wider I have not ever told this story like publicly in an environment like this where my dad was very big on like we owned a woods we didn't grow up wealthy but there was a woods behind our house that was ours and it was all the kids in the neighborhood were welcome there and I had a motorcycle as a kid which my mom did not love but my brother and I delivered newspapers for, I think, three years to earn the money to buy it. And what he's, because we asked for a motorcycle when we were little, and he's like, earn money, then you can buy whatever you want. Like that was the adage. So we worked, delivered newspapers, three years, three and a half years. We got $500 to go and buy a little Honda XR80 that we used to ride back there, and we had so much fun. But there was a crotchety neighbor on the other side of the creek that was there that used to complain all the time, and he would call the police on us while we're in our backyard riding. And so like the police would come and then my brother was older. So he would be the one that would talk to them and they would say, and then it, they stopped coming because afterwards they were like, there was a noise complaint. Who owns this land right here? And my dad, my brother would say, we do. And they'd say, which house is yours? He'd point. It's like right there up the hill. So like, then they would just say, do whatever you want, have fun kids. So then the crotchety neighbor went and got a no trespassing sign and added it to our fence, like put a big sign on the fence that we owned on the property. That, and it said, no trespassing, like huge, huge letters. So we told my dad this, like he did it so they could kind of like call again and say there's kids down there. You're not supposed to be in there. So my dad goes out and ha doesn't tell us, but he has a huge sign made bigger than the one that was down there. And it says in big letters, private property. And then right below that, it says trespassers welcome. <laughs> so like where he's just putting there and his point and what he said was, this is for like the kids here, like to go and didn't say get in trouble, like, like that, like, like 
ride the motorcycles, build the jumps. Like he, he tried to flood it for us so we could have an ice rink, which never really worked. But like the <laughs> thought was there, like, cause there's like pieces of grass coming up through yeah. like, as far as, and in your mind, like it's going to be like an NHL arena that's yeah, down yeah. there and we're going to be skating with the hockey necks and playing, but then like it gets done and there's still like snow and a stump that comes up through part of it. And like, but you know what? Some of the most fun times ever were down there and like, playing in the creek and the land but that was the part where my dad was like this is the community this is part of it and so that was instilled in me and I guess that wraps back to like even as a kid like for the neighbors it's not just yours it's everyone's like how do we make this better so how do you I mean how do you I've had so many people tell me this challenge they've got to when they're helping other people like you hear the the old adage that is if you help everyone uh, to get what they want, you never have yeah, to focus yeah. on what oh, you yeah. want. I have had people get to a breaking point, though, and say, I'm helping all these people, and all these people are doing really, really well, but I'm struggling. How, like, have you, have, what do you say to that person? I, I mean, I guess figure out what it is you are bringing to the table or can bring to the table that is something that, people will want to pay for it. So like, as far as that part <laughs> where, so like with you, like you're creating the perfect environment. So if I'm looking at this on that, where every kid wants to be a YouTuber, right? And now you have this amazingly cool studio. So the creative loft here, like, so I guess if I'm talking specifically to you, like the advice would be, create not the just you are creating the really successful podcast business so like there's something like that but interestingly the business that potentially could be massively larger is how do you make other people successfully do what it is you're doing and create their personal brand and their podcast and their youtube channel and their instagram and everything else because so many that want to do that and if you look at the people that got rich during the gold rush it was not the people that panned for gold and found some it was the ones that were selling the pickaxes and the shovels and the like restaurants and the inns and the other establishments that were created like that's the people that built the wealth so like on this where the market that we're going into is how do you profit on that and when you look at ai for instance it's like wh who are the companies that are going to really benefit well nvidia and like that the ones that power kind of the behind the scenes and that so it's just thinking about things in that way yeah like it's in kind of an asymmetrical way to think about like as far as that where you already have this super successful business that you've created and this really powerful brand and your books but how do you then take this and create it into something more which you've done already with the hideout and what you're doing and bringing people together and helping them to truly understand but like what are the other pieces? And I think you already are doing this to some degree, but how can you then create it into a business that scales? Because that's the part where the the leverage and the scale, if you think about how like real crazy wealth it's created, it is how do you take what you've done and then bring it to a much wider group or audience and help others to also do something similar? Well, it makes sense, and and it's funny because I had a I, I just had a friend uh, we were uh, we were speaking yesterday, and he asked me that question, and 
most of the time, and it's amazing because you answered it in that way, is a lot of times it's checking the motive of why you're helping the people, yeah. right? Because I've had people that get to a, maybe, let's call it a, a marathon, 26.2 miles. I remember the point two because I did one. Yeah. And the point and two the point is, two is hard. Oh, That's it's real, the yeah. hardest. But 10 miles in, if you're like, okay, I already ran. Can I just call it a marathon? Um, it ain't. 13 ain't a marathon. Yeah. 18 ain't a marathon. 20, 26, 26.1 ain't a marathon. And I find that a lot of times people will get into it with a motive of like, they're here, Nick. And if you're out there listening, they're here or here, Nick, and be like, oh, wow, yeah, relationships, cool. I'm going to go make them, but I'm going to make them with the right people so then they're going to pay me off in the future. I've just watched people like that get to a point and then they don't have any steam left. Then they get frustrated. Whereas when they're motive, like with a you, you're looking long game and you're like, no, I'm not giving you something so I could get something. I'm not even looking. I, I'm, it doesn't even cross my mind. Like that part is true. Like it is, it, and there, interestingly, there have been a lot of times where those people have really helped me, but it, 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 I don't even think about it. And I don't keep score and look at like this. It is, and that is to me, I think a real key is who can you help and go through there? And then you're not going to run out of steam because you're not looking for like the transactional because those are the relationships. Like there's always going to be a winner and a loser. If you're doing that and keeping score that it's like, oh, you know what? You did this, so I need to do that. Or because you brought me crumble cookies, I need to bring you that where there's no part of. And actually I did do, so before I took the job with Amaze Insights, I did some sales training with, a team it was a, a high-powered CEO and his co-founder, really, really smart guys, and they're scaling a company that's successful, but they're ready to make the jump to the next level. And I just wanted to welcome them because they flew into Carlsbad from far away to meet with me. So I was like, you know what? I want them to feel special. I didn't know enough about them to know like the personal things that they would like. Otherwise, I would have been really specific. So I did a couple gift bags, and I went super wide. But not like expensive, crazy stuff like Coke and Diet Coke and M&M's and Snickers. Like most of it was relatively unhealthy because I think I put too much of myself in it. And then I meet them and they're both like, I'll have the faux mung bean salad. And this. So I did miss the mark on that. But they were saying to each other when they, they checked into their hotel and the hotel called them down and they're like, wait, what is this? Because they weren't expecting. And that's what they said. They looked at each other and they're like, I think the training has begun. Like, but that wasn't. It wasn't part of the sales training, and I was not doing it for any reason other than I wanted to welcome them to our city and do that. And then I did bring, like, cookies to the meeting and went through there, and it was like, but I didn't do it with intent, if that makes sense. Like, I just did it because I wanted them to get a lot out of it. And then I also wanted to just make sure that the right mindset. So as you would say, the vibe was there for the meeting because I wanted to get the most out of the sales training. So I wanted them to have a positive feeling and impact before they even got in the room to sit down and go through there. And that is, that's also what I, that's what I want. Like I want to walk into a room and have people that are genuinely happy on that, like as happy as our new puppy is walk in where it's like this is a celebration like (laughs) everything is so if we can have that mindset to 
be genuinely happy when you go through there. It's infectious. Infectious. The positive attitude, it you see it. Like you see it how you can help bring things together. And the same thing does happen with negative people and energy vampires where where you will feel like you walk into the room and it's like, oh, <laughs> this is gonna be tough. <laughs> and like you can be drained that's like that where it's like, let me tell you all the things that are wrong. And like and I do still want to love everyone and go through there. But if there is someone that every time you see that person, you then are like drained and you're feeling your life buds out of you, then maybe try and be in some different rooms, right? So <laughs> I guess that part and, to, and try and be as positive as you can, which you already naturally embody. So I guess you don't have to worry about that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> um, Gino, I got to give a shout out to Gino because one of his favorite quotes was, uh, don't let the smooth taste fool you. And I think that it's cool with you. You embody that where um, my pops would say it. And he said, don't let the smooth taste fool you. Just, just because I got a smile on my face doesn't mean that I didn't get kicked in the head. You know what I mean? And to see the, the, the highs, the lows, and when you were talking about like the deals that you're, uh, you know, whether you're mentoring somebody and uh, they're dealing with a, their they think the deal is done and you're like, no, you're in the fourth <laughs> inning, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? So calm it down. Let's, let's settle in. I think that that part is so phenomenal. so inspirational for me f watching you um, because it's not that all the perfect things are happening. It's that you're bringing the perfect attitude and vibe into the, whatever scenario you have. And when I say it's the perfect one, it just means that you're saying that I can learn a lesson here or I could have a victory here, but neither one is going to define me. Yeah. You and know? that is true, like as far as that where on this, and that's, I think, once you allow yourself that ability to fail, then you can truly succeed. So as far as that where, because it's very, and there are some people I'm coaching right now and trying to help go through, and the confidence as far as I, I'm not going to do that because I don't know if I'm the right fit, and I'm like, but n then no one is because if you can't do it, who can so like the job and if that job if it's like because it says this on the sheet so walk in and change the narrative and be like <laughs> I know it said you needed this but what you really need are the things I can actually do like take that to the table and turn it around and that's not to say don't go into something that you're wholly unqualified to do but like believe in yourself yeah because why shouldn't you Nick, you're you're absolutely phenomenal, man. I I, I appreciate you. I'm going to ask though that we don't go three years in between having you on the <laughs> podcast again. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure, and and again to to see the consistency, man, and to hear the stories, but see the common thread all the way through. That you, I mean, you serve people at a high level, and you do you continue to do the right things. And there's no wonder why your son Spencer came up at the end of the game to shake Maddox's hand and congratulate him because of the parents that you and Marcy are. And that's such a, a highlight. It's such an amazing, amazing thing. And I want to congratulate you on that, man. Thank you so much. I, I so appreciate that. And I really have enjoyed this time today. And so I'll get it on the books for two and a half years from now, for sure. <laughs> so, so, no, I, 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 if I could, I'd be on here every week because there's nothing more fun than sitting down with the, the famous... <laughs> Kelly Cardenas. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate it. Marcy, we love you. Uh, we, we love you to death. Um, right now is the time where you check out all the sponsors. You uh, make sure that you patronize all of them. Also, too, we want to thank every one of you guys for rocking with us. And they told us, uh, Nick, this. They told us when we first... 
they. It's funny because my wife is like, who's they? I'm like, it's they. You know who they are. <laughs> but they told me that you have to do a 45-minute uh, podcast You have, or you could do a 20-minute one. You have to do that. And I said, I want to have a conversation with someone. And it doesn't, for me, it doesn't have a time frame on it. It has the fact of, of where the conversation goes and, and how it's connected. And even when we talked, and I want to thank you for this, because you were like, you know, how can I get prepared for it? I said, come with your attitude. Like, come with who you are as Nick. And you showed that. And in this time, I just, I want to thank all the people that listen to us and that have spent the time with us, because this really has been a late, I mean, this, this podcast has been something that has been transformative not only for myself but you can imagine having two, a record of 277 people that are the most iconic people in the world that my kids are getting advice from well not advice they're getting counsel from because they're all people who have done it sure and so i just i want to thank all of you out there and nick i want to thank you again and you're officially off the hot seat <laughs>